in order for us to win a Stanley Cup, we got to win five rounds. So it's more, you know, it's more rounds than what you would normally take a look at. So, um, you know, the asterisk, if it's put there, for me, would mean that, might, you know, potentially could be the harder cup to win, um, you know, than what we've seen in the past. So I, I don't see anything that's going to take anything away from, you know, being a Stanley Cup champion this year. Um, you're going to go through the same grind. Um, you know, it, it virtually is going to be a, a tournament like we, we have every year. Um, but I just feel with the extra round for the teams that have to play in, um, you know, it, it could be the hardest cup to win. So uh, for us, there's going to be, and for whoever wins, believe me, um, there's going to be no sort of uh, feeling like, oh, it was, a, it was a cheap year. It was something different. It wasn't in the normal. I mean, whoever's crowned Stanley Cup champion is going to take an awful lot of pride in the fact that they're Stanley Cup champions. That's the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward, uh, on a conference call with Calgary Media today, along with Mark Giordano and Brad Living, the uh, captain and general manager of the team as well. And and I really like uh, like I, I like what he has to say. Essentially, for us to win the Stanley Cup, it's going to take five rounds. For a team that doesn't have to go through that play-in, it's going to take four rounds still. It might be different there might be an asterisk beside the stanley cup but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing because there's a lot of good about the nhl potentially starting up and we we all think it's going to or we all believe that there is a much better chance now than it's going to start up than there has been at any other point after yesterday's announcement from the nhl and the the head coach of the calgary flames his point is that yeah there might be an asterisk because it's different, but that doesn't mean that it's going to take away from the integrity. Like, I think there's going to be the same way there's an asterisk beside the 2012-13 season or the 94-95 season because they didn't play full regular seasons. When you go and take a look in the record books, it says, well, there's only 48 games played that year in the regular season. And this year, uh, when we look back in 20 years' time, when we're scouring online, you know what it's probably going to say? It's probably going to say, well, the, the league had to shut down for three or four months to deal with the coronavirus pandemic, and uh, that's why things are a little bit different, and that's why the teams only played 70 or 71 or 72 games. But that doesn't mean that the Stanley Cup isn't legitimate. That doesn't mean that there is no integrity to giving the Stanley Cup out this year or that they shouldn't do it. And I... I can be quite confident, and I can't be 100% confident, Mr. Klein, but I can be quite confident that in 20 years' time or 30 years' time, when we look back on this season, I'm not going to take anything away from the team that ends up winning this year's Stanley Cup. I might say this has been a bizarre year. I might say this has been one of the the strangest uh, hockey stories I've ever covered, but I I can tell you pretty confidently that I'm not going to be looking back and saying that there is no integrity this year or that the Stanley Cup winner wasn't deserving. So I I, I liked what Jeff Ward had to say, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that, you know what, this might be a harder Stanley Cup to win than any other Stanley Cup that we've seen in recent memory because everybody's going to be on an even footing. Everybody's going to be healthy. It's going to be a little rusty to start. Everybody's dealing with the same situation. Like I say bring it on. I, I'm, I am not here to entertain this idea of an um, illegitimate 2020 Stanley Cup champion because I, I, I don't believe that that exists. No, the the teams are, are set up based on how they played over 68 to 70 games. I, I would say that's a good enough sample size, uh, personally. So I have no problem with that. And then the, the Stanley Cup playoff format itself, 
again, we've talked about it. You got to win 19 games to, to win the Stanley Cup if you're not one of the top four teams in a conference. And even then, you have to play against the best of the best in your conference as you get ready for the the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I, I I understand there being some criticism, but to suggest that whoever wins this is going to be some form of illegitimate champion, that that's just absolutely not true. Like, it's... It's going to be such a different test, and it's going to be different, but different doesn't automatically make it um, any worse or anything like that. So, no, I have the only the only setback i guess is you don't have to go into like a hostile environment or, or anything like that but you're not exactly working in the the best working conditions anyway uh being isolated from basically everyone except for your teammates so th there's give and take on both sides but no any kind of placement of illegitimacy on this championship is, is just not i i'm like, i'm with you if I'm they were to if if they were to have gone out and um, decided to have a Stanley Cup tournament that only had four teams and they played a round robin and then a, a, a Memorial Cup final types, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, let's have the conversation about that being a little yeah. bit more illegitimate. I, 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 I can get that. Like, I can, I can understand how there would be some who would think maybe that isn't uh, keeping it with the integrity, but this return to play committee has done everything in their power to maintain as much integrity as humanly possible when it comes to when it comes to the the relaunch of the season. So I don't see it. I don't think there's any illegitimacy with this with this relaunch season. I think whatever ends up happening, um, this is going to be a legitimate Stanley Cup champion. And yeah, if you're one of the teams that has to go through the play-in round and then you end up winning the Stanley Cup. You're playing in an elimination round to get in, and then you're playing four other rounds to win. Yeah, it's, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Good question comes from uh, Wolfie on our Instagram Live today. He says, which team is getting screwed the most in this format? And it's, it's a fair question because I feel bad for the – well, I don't feel bad for the Edmonton Oilers, let's be honest. I feel bad for the Pittsburgh Penguins, though. Um, and I mean, look, the Oilers would be getting jobbed pretty hard too. Uh, if well, it's their own fault if you lose the Blackhawks, in the same way it's their own fault if they lose the Habs in Pittsburgh. But look, there was a uh, what ninety ninety five percent chance that the Penguins were going to make the playoffs, and you're probably talking about an eighty seventy five percent chance the Oilers were going to be there. And now all of a sudden, it's reduced to best of five. Like I can understand that griping. But I don't know if it's anybody getting screwed. You still got to win the games, and and you still have control of what happens, right? Yeah, anyone who would be in the category of screwed has to beat a team that no one thinks deserves a chance to be there anyway. So just beat. I don't want to say a bad team because I, I don't think Montreal or Chicago are bad teams. They're not good teams, but I don't think they're bad teams. Uh, but just beat them. Like it, it's it's supposed to be hard to to win the Stanley Cup and of the teams in this bottom area sure you you have the biggest case that you don't need to be playing in a play in because you're just one team separated but you also in theory and i would looking at the schedule i i think it backs it up you have the easiest play in round you have the the easiest path to the playoffs and then when you get there you're place you're facing a team that had to pay play one of the elite of the elite uh, of your conference in the the first round so i quite honestly i don't think anyone really got screwed in this but 
I, I can I can hear an argument for it being Edmonton or Chicago. I'm going to say Boston or St. Louis because they still have to fight for a top seed. And when you're playing throughout the entire season, the goal of and the, the, the draw of winning the president's trophy is that you get home ice advantage throughout. Obviously, there's no home ice advantage in, in any of this, aside from the fact that you get last change. Um, so that kind of gets taken away, and 70 games worth of work kind of now comes down to three games against some very good teams. Yeah, and, and I I do, like, this is not perfect for anybody, and, and by no means am I saying that it is, but I just don't think that we're talking about a scenario where this is is not legitimate or or we're talking about um you know teams that are actually getting screwed when it's all said and done i mean yeah would it have been nice for st louis and boston to have home ice throughout their respective conference um playoffs yeah it would be but then again it would be nice to to not be living in a pandemic with the blues if the blues had a choice to defend their stanley cup champion uh but have to do it without home crowd or not defend it at all i think they'd choose to defend their stanley cup champion i think so anyway so yeah oh no for sure yeah go ahead no i'm just saying like yeah no like it's it's not ideal for anyone. I'm just saying in the power rankings of screwedness, I, I, I think that the, the top seeds are there. It, it's still the best of this bad situation. Uh, just answering the question, though, like if it's if we're picking out who has kind of the, the raw end of the, the deal here, I'm not looking at the bottom. I'm looking at the top teams uh, on the text line at nine, six, oh, nine, six, oh. Uh, Mike says, I definitely think this cup will have an asterisk behind it. There's basically been an entire offseason between the regular season and the playoffs. Also, all teams will be healthy, which is never the case after a long regular season. But with that said, it'll still count. Uh, I'll still count it as our second cup. So uh, Mike is uh, and you know why? Because well it on will board be. with the Flames winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, if the Flames win the Stanley Cup, it will be their second Stanley Cup. They're not bringing back the Atco Cup or anything like that. The, the reason that we'll count it as the Flames' second Stanley Cup is, is because, because it it's will. their second Stanley, Cup. Really yeah. second Stanley Cup. Yes. Um, what else we got here at 960-960 on the text line? Uh, I think the play-in round is an advantage. Whoever wins between Calgary and Winnipeg, in my opinion, will be more ready than St. Louis. We'll see. We'll see what that uh, little four-team round robin ends up giving us in terms of hockey. Certainly won't be the same type of desperation that you're going to see in those play-in rounds. Um, what else we got here at 960-960? Uh, how come the NHL is so inclined to hand out the cup this year and kind of ruin their start for next year uh like how come they can't just scrap this season and start next year on time to start next year in january seems dumb we addressed this a little bit yesterday but i think the main thing is is that the a they want to recoup money from this season which don't don't kid yourself is extremely important and it's extremely important for the long term of the nhl as well but also uh i i think by doing this it buys them a little bit of time to maybe have fans back in the building because i don't think they look at this and and look at the start of next season as economically viable for two or three months without fans. And I think there's a much better chance of fans being in the building in January than there are in October. So I think because of that and because 
the the viability economically of starting a season and playing two or three four months without fans in the building is just not good for the nhl whereas if it's only one month and they have to start it a little late and they can recoup money from this year it makes way more sense for them financially and and look as as much as we like to say oh these are billionaire owners they're still businessmen the nhl is still a business and they still have to operate like a business so trying to recoup some cash this year you can understand why they're doing that um any rebuttal to that Kleiner? no you're right and well one thing that was interesting yesterday just going back over the the interviews a little bit later on in the evening well when gary bettman said um that with ice quality being what it is in 2020 they don't mind maybe completely readjusting their season so that next year isn't just a one-off i thought that was a very interesting comment that they don't mind maybe permanently changing their their schedule. So the, this whole October to June setup that we've become used to, maybe it's not the norm anymore, and maybe starting a season in January isn't going to be dumb. It's going to be what they do from now on. So um, I think they're looking at a number of different options right now, and this whole situation gives you an opportunity to assess not just, okay, how do we make a playoffs work? It's, okay, what what is the best way to, to go about this season? So I, I think that was very yeah. interesting. Uh, watch Montreal, Chicago, and Florida will play their way into the playoffs and piss off a lot of people. Montreal then goes into the draft and gets first overall pick. Well, th- both can't happen. If Montreal plays their way in and upsets Pittsburgh, then they're not in the draft lottery and they can't get the number one overall pick. So both of those things can't happen, uh, which I, I guess if you're the um – if you're the NHL, it's a good thing. Uh, this right reads, nobody's getting screwed until Sidney Crosby tests positive the day before Game 7 of the Finals. Can you imagine? Um, I, I I still think that those worries are, are very, very um, minimal, and, and I just think it's it's so... Um, I don't know, Klein. I think it's it's so the the chances of that happening are so minuscule, and these guys are these guys are going to be absolutely isolated, um, and and in an isolated situation, the chances of look the chances of getting this thing as it stands right now are minimal. The chances of the chances of getting COVID nineteen just by being out and about right now are very low. Now we don't know what that is going to look like now that things are opening up a little bit, but even still, your chances are. Extremely low of getting it and I'm not saying we shouldn't be taking precautions because we should be taking precautions and I think all of the precautions that have been taken are are very very strong and the the spreading of it is is extremely important and all like I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and downplay this at all all I'm saying is that the, the chances of isolation ending up having an outbreak or a player testing positive for it are extremely, extremely low. So uh, yeah. if, especially if they are going to have this as buttoned down as, as we're led to believe. Well, totally. And also, it would be very unfortunate if anyone tests positive for uh, COVID-19 while this whole thing is going on. But, I mean, Sidney Crosby could have got injured in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final in the best of situations. I mean, injuries happen. Illnesses happen. It's it's sports. It's very unpredictable. And that's always going to be an outlier. So while this is maybe something you could avoid by just not having it, it's just another thing that can happen. I, I don't think it's any more unfair than someone breaking an ankle or something like that. Uh, this text, anyone who wants this hockey year to end must not be emphatic about hockey. In terms of getting screwed, though, Columbus-Montreal would be at the bottom of that list, seeing as how the Blue Jackets needed to get healthy, and this gives Carey Price some much-needed rest. Good point. I mean, if you're Pittsburgh, you're like, oh, 
Carey Price, what if he's at 100% and he is on his game? Right. Like that is, he gets that hot is for a, terrible, a week and you're in trouble. Three games. All he needed is three out of five. Yeah. If he's if he is, you know, if he's Olympic level carry price for three of five games, boom, uh the Penguins are out. Um so that's that's a very good point. And yeah, the the time for Columbus with all those injuries that John Tortorella's team had to deal with this year, that'll be significant as well. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. We're underway on this Wednesday edition of the program. Hopefully your Wednesday is going along very well. We are uh, live on your radio, live online, sportsnet.ca slash 960 on your Radio Player Canada app on your mobile phone. You can get us on your smart speaker at home. And uh, Kleiner and I are on Instagram live for the show as well. Come on through uh, the video version of Pinder and Steinberg. With Klein. I finally uh, have a background now. So you do have a background. I'm. Uh, what do you got there? You've got there's uh, uh, Muhammad Ali over here. Uh, got Kawhi Leonard over uh, their shoulder, and uh, Joey Bats has always been up top there. And your head is right between the triangle of pictures. It's very well yeah. done. You, uh, it's framing. you plan this out. Very good framing. I like that. Is mm-hmm. is the Kawhi Leonard picture on an etch a sketch? That's kind of what it looks like from here. A little bit, uh, yeah, it's just a, a red picture frame. But no, it's uh, a painting from, I, I believe, a, a Calgary artist, uh, Tay-Tay Ski. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what that is. If you'd like to come on through, Steinberg1984 is where we uh, do our Instagram Live uh, every day where you can watch, uh, watch the show uh, if you are so inclined. I don't know why you would, but you can nonetheless. Um, here's a, a couple of other highlights from the conference call with the Calgary Flames today. I thought this was kind of interesting because there's been a lot made and, and there's been a lot of concern about players being away from their families and being isolated for a, a significant period of time. And, and, you know, I think that's a fair concern. Um, I, I thought the captain of the Calgary Flames made a really good point about that, though. Here is, uh, here's Mark Giordano, the captain of the Calgary Flames, when he was asked about that possibility. Obviously, it sucks to be away from your family, but I also do think that a lot of guys are, uh, are willing to, to make that sacrifice to get back on the ice and play. Um, you know, I've said it before, we're, we're all in a pretty good position because of the game of hockey, and I think it's really really important for us to take care of uh, our sport and our league going forward and making sure that it uh, it can be in the best position possible moving forward. Um, just, just going again from our team, most guys, I think, are willing at the start to be away from their families for a little bit. And then as the playoffs or as it moves on, um, we'll see what happens with, with the, you know, the outside the bubble world and how the rules of quarantine are changing, but uh, that's the feedback I get from from our guys, and I think most guys are are willing to make that that sacrifice uh, for the good of the game. So that is uh, Captain Mark Giordano uh, about an hour ago, just over an hour ago, with uh, Brad Living and Jeff Ward on a conference call. And and I mean, look, I mean, I, I think that's the, I think in the end, that is what we've talked about a lot is that. As, as difficult as being away from a family for three weeks, one month, two months, depending on how far you go, as, as difficult as that would be and as difficult as that, that might be for these players, there, there's also an understanding that there's um, that they're, they're trying to do something for hockey too. They're trying to get this back, and, and this is it's a sacrifice, but it's also a sacrifice that I think you can understand why they'd be okay with making, and, and he made a really good point in that, 
Like, look, the NHL players get compensated extremely well to play hockey. And uh, as, as part of that, sometimes you have to make sacrifices. I'm not saying that this should be something they do all the time, but for for the good of getting the league back going in a pandemic for them to sacrifice a couple of months and, and be in a more difficult situation than normal. I, I think you can understand why the majority of players in, in the players union said that they'd be okay with that. Well, and uh, to, to what Brian Burke said yesterday, and I'm not going to be uh, quite the, the same as Burke with this, but a lot of these guys, by the time this whole thing gets started, will have spent more than a full off-season's amount of time with their families as is. Not saying that it's, okay, well, suck it up and don't be with your families now. But they have just got an extended amount of time with their families that they wouldn't normally get anyway. And I, I certainly can sympathize, especially players with children and, and things like that, where you would want to be with them as much as possible. And even during the season, normally you can go back home and visit and stuff like that. Like there's there, there are opportunities to spend time with your family during a regular season that wouldn't necessarily be there at this time. But these guys have already spent a lot of time with their families that they wouldn't normally get anyway. So it's kind of just balancing off and really for most of, I mean, for a lot of these teams, they're done after a couple weeks anyway. And then another group are done after a few weeks um, beyond there. So it's only going to be a few of them that are spending literally months away from family as well. And here's the, uh, the second clip kind of on that same wavelength for, from the captain in, in terms of, well, how long, how long is a training camp going to be, and, and how much is that going to add to this whole conversation? Phase two is set to start coming up sometime in early June without an exact date, but so, soon to start, and that's going to allow players to get back on the ice, and then from there they can move into a training camp. Here's, uh, here's the captain on that and how long he'd need personally to get back into game shape. For me, uh, speaking for myself personally, I think two weeks is enough of you know, if we're on the ice pretty much every day for two weeks, it comes back uh, really quick. But yeah, it's a it's a long break. There's no no doubt about that. Most guys don't don't really go uh, this long without being on skates in some form. So um, we definitely need a couple of weeks. I think two weeks is enough of a formal camp. But we're also getting that phase two. It looks like which is which will help build this up as well. I uh, like. The, the whole idea of another training camp to get ready for the postseason is, is fascinating to me. But, I mean, if we're talking about a two- or a three-week training camp, I think you can understand why. I think the NHL, ideally, and, and they've said that they're basically going to put this back on the players and we're, they're going to lean on the players and, and what they need to get this done, which, as, as you've said many times, it's way more kumbaya than we're used to when it comes to this league. But, you know, in, in, in that in in that kind of um, when you're thinking about that scenario, the league I think would hope that it is closer to two weeks than three weeks. I think they'd like to make it as as short as possible, but they're also going to defer to the players and say, okay, as a group, what do you need? Uh, but if it can be two weeks as opposed to three weeks, that's a significant boost in the NHL's quest to having all four of their rounds be best of seven rounds, right? Totally. And when you you think back to training camp and obviously everything about this situation is different than anything we've seen before. So it's tough to draw just straight line comparisons. But when you look back at training camp, once we get about a week, 10 days into that thing, most of the comments are, 
okay, I'm sick of this. Let's get back to to actual games now. Let's let's get to the, the stuff that matters instead of just skating around and hitting each other all the time. So um, I, I, I'm going to guess that three weeks, I, I would bet the under on that one when, when all is said and done because it, it's just, I, I never, I haven't met as many players as you have. I haven't met any players. It's like, man, you know what's awesome about training camp? The length. Like, it is just dope that we get a month to get ready for the season. So I, I think these guys have done a pretty good job during this thing of keeping themselves in shape. I'm sure there are a couple of exceptions, but most of these guys are going to have pretty good setups at their place. It's just getting back into game shape. And when you're getting talking back about on getting, the ice, the sap- getting back yeah, on the it's ice different. is the most important thing, right? And that, yeah, that's exactly. that's what most players have said, is that getting back on yeah. the ice is... Because it's, it's, yeah, you can weight lift and cardio and all that type of stuff, but what actually goes into being on the ice is is the most important for them. Totally. Yeah. And uh, for that, I don't think you need three weeks for it. So again, never been a pro hockey player, probably won't be, but uh, I, I don't think they're going to need three weeks for that. And that'll certainly help if the NHL wants to have best of seven first round, second round into the conference final and the Stanley cup finals. All yeah. we know right now is the play in round best of five, the conference final and cup finals, best of sevens. And it's a floating thought right now on the first and second round are they going to be best of five or best of seven and certainly a training camp length will play into that okay we are underway on pinder and steinberg this afternoon lots to get to we will hear that entire conversation with general manager brad true living uh mark giordano and Jeff Ward, not the entire conversation because that would be too long, but uh, highlights <laughs> and uh, very edited because there's some big long pauses and some technical difficulties and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, the highlights of Mark Giordano, Jeff Ward, and Brad True Living will hear at the top of the hour. It's Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you on Pinder and Steinberg. So just how unprecedented is this for the NHL, and how does this playoff format compare to what we've seen in years past? One of our favorite guys guys to talk hockey history with is Eric Nahachek of The Athletic. He's going to join us next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The NHL has announced their plans to restarting the season. We don't know everything as of yet. We don't know every single detail, and there are still a number of things that need to get worked out before they can come back. But you know what? There's a a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like when it does return. And, you know, this is a very unprecedented situation for the NHL, something that we've never seen the league go through before. And... I, I'm just I, I'm curious for the historical take on it, and that's why we bring on our next guest as we welcome Hockey Hall of Fame NHL writer Eric Dehachek of the Athletic to the program. Uh, Mr. Dehachek, second time in a week. It is good to hear from you, my friend. How are you? Good and 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 clean, cleanly shorn this time. <laughs> you got in. You were you were able to get in for a haircut, hey? I got in, and yeah, it was very efficient. It was it was great, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw me on the Zoom call. I looked a little unkempt, and I've been wearing a lot of ball caps lately, so I don't feel the urge and the need to do that anymore. So. Well, that's good. Now you can go, you can go tennis, and and uh, you can go free head when you're playing tennis, right? Exactly, exactly. What? Um, how how interesting has this been for you to cover? You've you've been a part of the NHL and and writing for this league for four decades. You've covered three lockouts. You had a canceled season uh, about fifteen years ago, and now this. In in terms of just um, strange, bizarre, unprecedented levels in terms of what you've covered in the NHL, where does this last two and a half months rank for you? 
Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, when you pose the question, you know the answer, which is that it, it is unprecedented. And, and you always try to reach for, for parallels and similarities in the past. And I know a lot of people, you know, want to, want to you know, compare it to, to lockouts. And there are some similarities, you know, especially as it relates to, to the NHL players, because, you know, the minor leagues were going on, uh, uh, the junior leagues were going on. So there was hockey being played, but it just wasn't being played at the at the NHL level. And so, you know, now we're in a position where, where all of the hockey disappeared at the same time. And if you're a hockey writer, that that complicates things. Um, so so that was unusual. It wasn't possible to, to go to Europe and, and, and cover, you know, locked out players playing in Switzerland or or Sweden or, or, or wherever, which is what I have done in the past in those in those situations. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the, you know, it, just about all of those other previous work stoppages have been the result of labor disputes. So essentially, you became, you know, a, a, a writer of, of labor news. And uh, and this is, you know, you, this is more about, you know, trying to learn more about, you know, medical practices than, than you ever thought that you, you needed to. I mean, in the old, you know, in the mostly what we do is, you know, we write about knee injuries and shoulder injuries and, 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 and concussions and things like that. So, you know, to deal with, you know, you know, a virus and the impact of that, you know, that, that's, that's a learning curve for all of us, right? you know, not just people who write about it, but people who are you know trying to live their lives in this, uh, in this new world. So yeah, it, it has been uh, really different, but, uh, but as I said, you know, but there's a part of me that, you know, and especially in the context of this, um, you know, play in playoff format that they unveiled on Tuesday, which had been rumored, I think, for for quite some time. And 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 you know, right away, you know, my my first thought was that it's not that different from from the playoff system that they had when I first started covering the NHL. So the Flames moved here in in eighty eighty one. It was my first year full time on the NHL. I did a little bit of Edmonton and Edmonton's first year, uh, you know, which was seventy nine eighty. Uh, but I, I remember being in the building at you know Northlands in for Game Three of the '81 playoffs between Edmonton and Montreal. So you know Edmonton was a 14th seed, Montreal was a, a third seed, but but it was a best of five series, and Montreal was heavily favored. Oilers went into Montreal for the first game. I think Gretzky had a five assists in that first game against Montreal, and I believe that that was a record at at that time. They won those two games. They came back to Edmonton and. And it was unbelievable, you know, how, the, you know, in, in such a short series, the, the, the tables had turned in, in four days, essentially. You know, Montreal, I think, felt that they had a, a team that could go on a, on a pretty significant run. And Edmonton was a team that was just sort of, you know, like growing. I mean, I think Andy Moog made his NHL debut halfway through that season. I think he'd only played a handful of regular season games, but he was there, you know, the goaltender that they relied on there. And they won. And, and they eliminated Montreal. And, and so I'm thinking... You know that that's what can happen when you play a best of five series. The, the opportunities for upsets just grow exponentially. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, and, you know, again, the Zoom call today I thought was interesting with uh, with uh, Jeff Ward, with Mark Giordano, and, and Brad Free Living because that that was the focus of, of my questioning. Like, you know, this this there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity to to go in, and if you just get on a little bit of a roll. Like, like you know, crazy things happen in the NHL playoffs all the time. But this could be the craziest year ever mm-hmm. if, if they if they can get it off the ground. If they can get it off the ground, which I guess is something that we have to, you know, preface almost every remark with. 
for sure. And and it's funny you talk about because that's that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you, you go back to your first year covering the NHL in uh, 1980-81, so the '81 playoffs, and and not only did they do best of fives early on, but you know, there's a lot of people talking about the. Uh, gimmicky nature of a 24 team playing and going back to conference playoffs and all that type of stuff. Well, what what I think a lot of people aren't aware of is that you know for a good chunk of time there and and your first season covering the NHL, first couple, uh, we're, we're talking about a one through 16 seating. So mm-hmm. so like it, it's not as if the NHL hasn't done vastly different things in the playoffs before. We've seen all kinds of different playoff iterations over the last number of decades. Yeah, 100%. And, and even, you know, like in, in years of the lockout, you know, uh, when they came back, they eliminated intra-conference play and, and you just obliged teams to play inter-conference games to, to cut down on travel. So, you know, the NHL has has proven over the years that it can be adaptable to, to changing circumstances. And, and uh, you know, I th- thought, you know, Gary Bettman yesterday was pretty interesting because, you know, at 2 o'clock uh, or 2.30, whatever it was, when he when he went on, on Sportsnet and, and delivered that address and you know, I think just read the, the thing and then he took questions from Tim and said, well, by the time he did the Zoom conference call with us, you know, like fresh, energetic Gary looked like tired, you know, worn out Gary. Like he, he had a lot on, on his plate. But I think that there was, you know, like some very specific messaging that, that he wanted to to get across. And once you, you know, sort of established all of that, you know, it, you know, everything is dependent on, you know, health authorities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, he, he, he raised that same point that, you know, that we, you know, we, we sometimes have to have to know how to pivot. And I know that there were people that, and I, I've actually been a big uh, believer in, in a play in round anyway, um, not to the extent that we have this time, but, but I've always thought that if, uh, if, 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 a, if a number nine, team was like like a point out or or tied and you had to use a tiebreaker to break the you know that eight to uh, nine tie if there was some circumstance where it was so close i i don't mind i didn't mind the idea of a of a, of a play-in game there in the same way that you know major league baseball plays 162 regular season games normally and and you know and then they have that wild card game and it's one game winner take all one game winner take all is what we live for in sports mm-hmm. you know so i i like that idea um you know, but when when the question was put to, to Gary Bettman about whether you know this was an opportunity to test this format and see how people responded, you know, was there a chance that they could conceivably look at it as something that they would, you know, maybe make a permanent part of their uh, of their playoff formula? And and it was like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this because we have to, and we like it the way it is right now. And and we're you know we're just going to stick with what we have when we go back to normal, whatever whenever that is and whatever the new normal uh, emerges, but, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it is interesting, you know, like, I mean, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I wrote my column today that the best NHL playoff round is always the first round, always the first round. And now we're basically getting two first rounds, right? I mean, this play in round is 16 teams, you know, go, you know, foot to the, the pedal, go, go, go. And then eight teams emerge. And then they play the eight teams that have been playing that round, Robin. And, and that's the actual first round. So, you know, we, like to me that if if this gets off the ground those like you know maybe you would characterize it differently but to me it'd be like getting back to back first round series of the playoffs and I, and I think you know from a from a spectator point of view and from an interest point of view that that's off the charts 
Yeah, and I and I'm I'm kind of with you. Like I I I'm I, I'm extremely excited for it. I think it could give us some outstanding television watching opportunities and just some great hockey to to be a part of. And you know the 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 one thing, and it was brought up on the the conference call we were on today. And and the 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 one thing that a lot of people have been talking about is this concept of well, an asterisk beside whoever wins the Stanley Cup. And I, I think it's different for everybody, but I know for me. I don't look back at Chicago's cup and say, well, only one of their, only two of their three cups were legitimate. I, I say, no, they, they won three Stanley Cups in a, in a short period of time. And, and you know what? When the Devils won their first cup, I look back at that as the start of the Devils winning three cups in you know, about a decade period of time. And you're like, I, I, I don't put asterisks beside those when I look back historically, so I don't think that I will once, if and when they start this season. What, what's your feeling on that conversation about an asterisk beside whoever ends up winning the Stanley Cup? Yeah. Well, you know, so uh, I'm I'm with you on that. And in fact, I you know, the, the one a couple of the things that uh, that were came on the conference call today were things that I've been sort of saying for a while too. If there is an asterisk attached, it it is it is on the good side. The idea that you know that potentially if one of these you know the, the 16 teams that are playing in the playoff round actually end up in the winner's circle, which I think is a very strong possibility, you know you could end up having to win five series rather than four. So most people I think will agree that the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, four rounds, two months, you know, it it, it, it it's the hardest trophy to win in sports. So, you know, you, you can agree or disagree, but I I, I firmly believe that. So. If, if it's the hardest trophy to win when you have to win four best of seven, if you add an additional round, you know, the team that's celebrating on October 4th or 5th or whatever, which is what it will take if they, if they start the playoffs on, on August the 1st, they're not going to be thinking of asterisks. They are going to be thinking this was an unbelievable journey that we went on to win five, potentially five rounds to get here, to overcome, you know, like a quickie training camp, a long gap in the season, all of the, the ups and downs of, of, of a year that essentially would have started back in, in September. So it would have, it will amount to an interrupted 13 month season. Uh, uh, like, I, I think those people should get two Stanley cup rings. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's, it, that would be an extraordinary accomplishment. And it, and, and if, again, if they can get these playoffs in, uh, without a major hiccup or or a, a further outbreak or or something that you know that could derail the thing en route, which is something people haven't talked about. Like you could you could easily find yourself you know humming along, humming along, humming along, and then and then something happens in terms of a of a of a, of a further public health scare outbreak, whatever, and 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 you might be forced to to abandon it you know in the middle of it, which I think would be very very difficult for anyone to accept. But but if at the end of it, somebody is left, you know, get, you know, having that Stanley Cup. Like presumably, Gary Bettman will be wearing white gloves, like the, the you know, the, the keepers of the cup when they hand it to whoever the captain is of of that winning team. And I don't know how you you, know, you pass the Stanley Cup around uh, in a social distancing way. That that will be challenging. But but no, there there will be no, uh, you know, it, it was it, it will not be cheapened. By uh, um, by the fact that it was uh, unconventional. In fact, I think it will be enhanced by the fact that it was unconventional. 
Well, and our uh, our good friend Kelly Rudy brings up a great point as well. Prior to you starting on the beat in the NHL uh, in the late 70s for about a five-year span, it was a best-of-three first round oh, yeah. before they went to best-of-five. And I don't think anybody looks back on, on the Habs winning Stanley Cups in the late 70s and say, no, those teams weren't legit because there was a best-of-three in there. I mean, like, things change and, and things evolve, and, 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 and this is, like, you're being forced to evolve right now, and, and, and I like the fact that they are, are being a little unconventional with this to to try and to try and give out a stanley cup in 2020 sure yeah and i i mean i think a lot of people the, the, the from from what i can gather just based on you know comments that people have made on the various stories that i've posted uh, at the athletic uh, that that the, the biggest issue people have is with with those 12th place teams you know so you know chicago a team that basically you know surrendered at the trade deadline traded eric gustafson here basically you know, the, 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 when, you're, when you're a seller at the trade deadline, you're effectively raising a white flag on the season. And, and Montreal, something similar happened there. Um, you know, for them to get like a second chance does seem a little unfair. And, you know, like, OK, so the odd, you know, so you say to yourself, OK, what are the chances that, that you know, like a team like that that has been depleted by trades and, 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 and such <clears throat> would be able to win five rounds or even one? <clears throat> well, I go back to 1982. Yeah, the miracle on Manchester. So again, so the year after Edmonton had that that great you know opening round win against Montreal, pushed the Islanders to six games, singing on the bench. Everything is onward and upward. Fantastic regular season. The Kings, meanwhile, limp into the playoffs. I mean, they were they were a terrible team. I mean, they were a terrible team. They won 24, 27 games out of eighty. Uh, and the only reason that they're in, of course, is because sixteen of, of twenty one teams make it. But somehow, by hook or by crook they found a way of winning. So it can happen, you know, and I, and I, and I was in, I was covering the series in 1991 where, where a, a very bad Minnesota team, again, just, you know, the 60 some points crept into the playoffs first round against, you know, Chicago a team that won the president's trophy. They were supposed to go out in four straight. Nope. They beat them and kept winning and kept winning. And, and Todd, they were two, one up on Pittsburgh in, in the, the Stanley Cup final. final. And yep. it was, it, that, that would have been, you know, other than the 38 Blackhawks, who were also not very good, that, that, that the worst team in the playoffs would have won that year if, if Mario hadn't, you know, got people to tie up his skates and, and found a way of, of working his magic. With, uh, you know, like practically, he was practically crippled off the ice and on the ice. You could, you could hardly tell. And so, you know, I think from the point of view of, of you know what's right you know the right team won but 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 that, that sports you know anything can mm-hmm. happen so I, I i don't rule out chicago making a run you know they've they've got you know a, a goalie that was playing real good down the stretch Corey crawford had him on my fantasy team was you know very pleased with him you know if you've got Taves, if you've got kane if you've got keith yeah i, I know the supporting cast isn't what it once was in those glory those guys can find another gear or another level i believe so I, I, that, that to me is, is the one area where, you know, like you're, you know, you play the regular season for a, a reason. And, and one of the big criticisms in, 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 you know, in the era of 16 teams in, in 21, you know, in those days, people said regular season didn't mean anything. And, and they had, a, that was fair criticism. I, I believe in, in, in an era now where 16 teams make it out of 31, the regular season absolutely means something. I mean, you know, the flames were talking today about, you know, we would be in the playoffs under whatever uh, measure that you would use. Yeah, that's true. But, but the reality is they were, you know, 12 games to go and, and on the playoff cusp. I mean, they needed to probably win, you know, eight out of the last 12 or seven anyway, to, to actually get in. So, you know, there was an awful lot of teams in that very 
thick middle that we have right now that's created by by parity that uh, you know that that might have been in might have been out but uh, and, and so any one of those teams to me is a legitimate contender but but a, a team I don't know like I said that, that's the only issue I have a, a team that was basically um, you know calling it a, a season you know to suddenly have a chance again that that, that might be the one part of it that that doesn't feel right. Just uh, one more with uh, Eric Dehatchik of The Athletic joining us here this afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. What, do, do you get a sense, is there any makeup of team or, or brand of team that, that you hypothesize might have a sizable advantage or distinct advantage when this thing gets going, whether it's a team that is in the top four in their conference or a team that would be in the play-in round? Yeah, so I tried to ask that of, of Mark Giordano, right? You know, because you mm-hmm. know the way I framed my question was was simply that you know most times going into most playoffs, we always you know we, we talk about favorites and we talk about underdogs. And and I I asked you know because because I I think the answer is no, there are no favorites and underdogs. Um, you know, can you in this unique circumstance pick a team that's a favorite or an underdog? And, and he had a good answer. His answer was simply that. Um, you know that if if you're one of those you know eight teams that automatically qualifies for the playoffs, you have to you know give those teams a little bit of an edge because you know it's one fewer round that they uh, that they have to play, and and there are some teams that you know based on their performance in the regular season are better than others, and those those would be the favorites. So you know presumably he meant that you know whatever happens over in the Eastern Conference, whoever is playing Boston in the first round, Boston's going to be the favorite. The other team's going to be the underdog. But, but again, I, I see. I have a problem with with that only because you don't. You have to be so good getting out, out of the out of the starting blocks in in this particular format. And 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 I've you know I, I honestly think that you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll be curious to see what the intensity level is where those those top teams uh, that are in the playoffs are getting a chance to play around Robin, and that's mostly just to get some some you know game action under their belt so that they're not. You know, like completely cold against a team that potentially mm-hmm. played a best of five series and, and just kind of, you know, gets it going a little bit. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I guess that's a long answer, Pat. I, I think every team has a chance. I think every team has a chance. Every team that is going to get together for these these sessions, you know, when there's a half a dozen players on the ice, when they get off that ice and they go into that dressing room, they're going to look at each other and say, you know what, this might be our best chance ever to win the Stanley Cup uh, because. You know, we're starting from scratch. We don't have no idea, you know, how the other team is going to be. We we have no idea how how we're going to even look. But but it that there'll be a randomness to this year's playoffs, I believe, that will that will be different than than we've ever seen before. And so, I, I mean, you know, let, let's pick a team. Let's pick Florida. So you got Joel Quenville coaching there. Okay, so Quenville coming out of the lockout in 2012, 2013, the, the team that you were referencing, they were 21 and zero and three coming out of the gate. So the first half of a 48-game season, Chicago didn't lose a game. So obviously something Joel Quenville did got those guys to shoot out of a cannon because, and they never let up and they, and, and, and they won the thing. So that's part one in Florida. Then part two is Sergey Bobrovsky. Okay, he had a terrible year, terrible, terrible, terrible year. And couldn't figure out why. You know, and signed all that, that, that contract for all of that money. Maybe that weighed on him. Maybe there was a technical thing. But what an opportunity to salvage the season, right? What an opportunity to salvage the season. So if you get Bobrovsky playing like he did last year when Columbus upset Tampa in the first round and, and, and Bobrovsky was great, 
And, you know, that's a, that's a fun team to watch in terms of the offense. So you've got the, 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 the right playoff pedigree for the coach. You have the right playoff pedigree for the goaltender. And you've got some, you know, like real good players like Uberdo and, and Barkov that were having pretty sensational years. So, you know, I mean, nobody, you know, Florida, no, they, they, were, they were not going to be a playoff team. Now there's, there, there's, a, you, there's a case to be made that who knows you know, how deep they could go. So, I, and, you know, that, I, I don't want to go through. We don't, I know we don't have time to go through 24 teams, but I could probably come yeah. up with some reason for, for 24 teams for you. So I, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. If they, if, if they get it going, I think it'll, it'll be fun. Great stuff, my friend. Uh, good to get that historical perspective from you, as always. We shall uh, be in touch, and, and hopefully we're not just talking about historical perspectives and we're talking about real stuff on the ice real soon. Thanks for doing this today, Eric. All right. No problem, Pat. It's Eric Dehachek of The Athletic on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Working hard to reopen soon for sit-down drinks and dining. Atlas Pizza is still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. It's Steinberg and Klein along with you on Pinder and Steinberg. We will hear from Brad Living, Jeff Ward, Mark Giordano of the Calgary Flames all coming up next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. With yesterday's NHL news, the Calgary Flames decided to do a little bit of a uh, response. As uh, General Manager Brad Treliving, who has been meeting with the media virtually ever since this thing began, uh, he, along with head coach Jeff Ward and Captain Mark Giordano, all met with the media on a virtual call a little later earlier today. And lots of highlights, lots of uh, interesting things to uh, sink your teeth into. It's it's worth a listen. Uh, it was about an hour long. We've cut it down significantly. Here are some of the highlights from Mark Giordano. Jeff Ward and the general manager starts it off. Here's Brad for living. It's exciting. I mean, as I said, initial thought is if talked about this on a, on a regular basis, if we're at the stage where we're talking about returning to play, then it must mean that things are moving in a positive direction in society. And that's number one. Um, obviously, as, as the commissioner said yesterday, there's still a few moving parts in this process. Um, and things to be decided, but um, the good news is we've got a we've got a program in place. Um, we've got a a you know still some some dates that are going to be firmed up, but there is a return to uh, play program put in place, and we're excited. Um, once we get there, obviously, um, you know we've got a, a matchup uh, against a really really good team that we've got a lot of respect for. Um, you know, got a lot of respect for, for Chevy as a manager. They're really well coached um, with Paul and, and his staff and a really good team. So it, it's going to be um, a real stiff challenge for our group. But we're we're excited to go through, you know, as we said, hopefully get, get into phase two and phase three and eventually get into, into competition. So um, an exciting day yesterday. And, and look forward to answering any questions you got. Uh, I guess actually, if, if I could start off with one for uh, for Geo, I guess Mark. Obviously, uh, the team voted in favor of the return to play format. But can you, can you give us the tone of how that discussion went? Where you know were, were the players pretty much all in? Was there any kind of pushback to the format? Uh, how'd that go? Yeah. No. I. Um, you know what? Uh, from, from right from the start, I think. Um, Right across the board, most most guys that I've talked to, most guys around the league, and especially in our team, um, we want to do whatever we can to play as players, obviously, to go 
to go through a regular season and play 70 games and put all that uh, that time in and you know those those ups and downs that adversity we've been through all year you want to you want to have a chance to be rewarded for that at the end of uh, at the end of the season so um, I think we've been obviously at the start of this it was tough mentally and and you don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen with the world and the safety of the world but i think as it's gone on it's got gotten more and more positive and our guys are really optimistic that this is a, a good solution i think the players who who put together this format have uh done a great job in in keeping the integrity you know of the stanley cup it's a, it's a tough trophy to win and i think the fact that we're able to to play if we get back to playing play you know best of seven series again to to get in into the the finals i think is a is a big part of it but most of uh, all the players across the league and you know our team is is excited to to get back and try to get get on the ice somehow here yeah i was gonna ask jeff i know uh coaches love the idea of being able to uh, prepare <clears throat> so how's he going to approach uh maybe two months of thinking about the winnipeg jets that's a it's a lot of video to watch maybe just what's his approach going to be heading into that series well i don't think we want to focus on uh winnipeg so so much that we're frozen by it i mean we'll do our due diligence on winnipeg we know you know who the opponent is now but the most important thing we're thinking about is how we're going to prepare our team to play winnipeg so we're not going to spend an inordinate inordinate amount of time uh looking at so much video that uh we see them too much we're going to do what we normally would do to prepare for a series. Uh, and then the most important thing is from the information we get out of watching Winnipeg and knowing our own team, what is the best plan for us moving forward in order to, to make sure that we're effective in the way that we play against them? Uh, Mark, um, you know, Brad had spoken um, a couple of times about how players, you know, they're unaccustomed to this long of a break. Um, you know, their bodies, I guess, you know, dialing down for this long. And so how much of a concern is it amongst the players that there could be a rash of injuries once you try to, you know, getting back to it full tilt? And is the three weeks, is a three-week um, training camp, I mean, is that, you know, does it have to be three weeks in order for that not to happen? Um, yeah, I mean, I think most guys uh... – I can speak for our team. We've been guys have been staying in shape at home and in their home gym, um, trying to avoid obviously falling out of shape and and those injuries you're talking about. But in saying that, I will say that getting on the ice is the most important thing for a hockey player. You use a lot of different muscles. You uh, you need to to engage those stabilizers. So it's really important to get back on the ice, and that's why I think. Um, Phase two is important to allow guys to, to work out maybe in small groups and get back on the ice in small groups to build up towards, you know, eventually a training camp. And I would say um, for me, uh, speaking for myself personally, I think two weeks is enough of, you know, if we're on the ice pretty much every day for two weeks, it comes back uh, really quick. But yeah, it's a, it's a long break. There's no no doubt about that. Most guys don't, don't really go... Uh, this long without being on skates in some form. So um, we definitely need a couple of weeks. I think two weeks is enough of a formal camp, but we're also getting that phase two, it looks like, which is which will help build us up as well. Uh, guys, a question for all three of you. Just, you know, there's no perfect solution for uh, the format to get back to playing hockey. And I really like 
the creativity of what they've come up with. But one of the downsides is, you know, getting away from, from divisional play and that could deny everybody, you know, it, there's a, it's much longer odds for there to be a battle of Alberta in the playoffs than there would have been under the normal formats. Just wanted to get your thoughts on, on the fact that, you know, that is more of a distant possibility. Now, most likely if you were to meet, it would be in the conference final, not earlier like the old format would have probably set up. Well, I'll jump in first, Eric. It, I think number one, I think it, the people that, that put this work in, I think really need to be commended. I think, you know, the, 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 the NHL led by Bill Daly, I mean, they've been working long, long hours. And I think, uh, you know, between Bill and I want to, I want to recognize him in particular, the, the NHL, um, the players, the, the return to play committee uh, that they put together. I mean, these guys have been working at it for a long time here, and I, and I commend them on coming up with a format. And it doesn't matter when, you, when you're dealing – we're dealing with a real unprecedented situation here. So you're never going to please everybody at the best of times, never mind coming through a situation like this. But so to say there's ever going to be a perfect scenario, I think this is the best possible plan you could, you could have. Um, and you're right, you're always looking at certain uh, local uh, regional rivalries that everybody in a perfect world would love to, to maximize those. But I think the work that's been done by everybody to get us to this stage um, is nothing short of phenomenal. And, uh, and it gives what it does, it gives everybody some more hope, right? You know, we were sitting there, there's a lot of days where you're wondering, are we ever going to get back? And, and if we are, what's it going to look like? So, um, you know, I think you have to park all your individual wants and and you you submit to the greater good here. And I think the league, the players um, need to be commended for the work they've got and the plan they've put in place. I think from my end, it's 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 excellent. Hey, Brad, um, now that we actually have sort of the semblance of a plan um, from your perspective, like we, we've heard a bunch of different numbers, scenarios for what the expanded rosters are going to be look like uh, from a manager's perspective, you know, what, what goes into you building your, your playoff roster now? Or, uh, like, is it sort of handedness attributes, potential opponents? Like, uh, and are there any players that you're hoping to potentially get involved that might not have been an option? Well, we've been going through that, you know, for a, quite a long time, you know, with Jeff and, and the staff of just different options. Right. So, We've got a we got a few napkins that are that are written up in terms of you know depending on who we'd want to bring up uh, the rosters will expand I think there's still a little bit of um, clarity to be to be given in terms of what's the final numbers basically what we do know is when we go to when we go to the hub city you'll be at a maximum of 50, 50 personnel so that's including your players and all your people. Um, I think it's going to fall in around 30. It will be the, will be the number for players. Um, so we haven't finalized to say, obviously, we've got our group here that was with us. And then, um, you know, as we add to the group, it'll be all, all of the above that you mentioned, you know, certain positions, um, you know, people that obviously we've had a lot of movement between Stockton and Calgary throughout the year. So there's certainly some guys that jump to the forefront that have that have played. And and we've talked about there could be guys that, you know, could be in the lineup 
you know, in, in our series. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll certainly have an extra group of guys. You know, the other question is when we go to the hub city, are you allowed to have, you know, sort of a taxi squad back here? Not sure of all that, but we'll, we'll have an expanded roster. Um, who those names are right now aren't, aren't yet identified, but we've got a pretty good handle on that between Jeff, the staff and myself of, of different options available to us. Yeah, just a, a two-parter for you, Mark. Just first of all, Brad said last week quite correctly that there's a lot of hockey that doesn't lend itself to physical distancing. Uh, that being said, and with the NHL pledging to make it as safe as you can, what do you think the players' level of confidence is that they're going to be able to look after health and safety while preserving the integrity of the game? Yeah, well, I think the protocols they've put in, uh, uh, you know, look really good, and I think. Um, a huge part of this is obviously be getting tested as players and uh, before we go into facilities and things like that. I think there's generally from from what I get, there's a pretty high confidence amongst players um, that we're going to be safe. I think it's a lot of it falls on us too to to do the right things um, and social distance now before we we start this phase two. And then once we get into phase two and phase three and phase four, we got to still really be careful and be aware of you know, sanitizing, washing our hands and things like that. Um, on the ice, there's, you know, you're not going to change the game where there's no contact or anything like that. So we're going to, that's still going to be a part of it, but that's why I think testing will be, will be crucial. But, uh, you know, from what I've, from, from the feedback that I've received from players, um, you know, guys have had good opinions, but for the most part, Guys are really positive and, and confident that we'll be safe once we do return. What about families? Uh, are, are you hoping to have the families inside the bubble or is it, are you prepared to be apart from your families for like two months? Um, yeah, there's been a lot of good, good conversations back and forth on that. I think between the league, the union players, uh, teammates, um, obviously it sucks to be away from your family, but I also do think that a lot of guys are, uh, are willing to to make that sacrifice to get back on the ice and play. Um, you know, I've said it before, we're, we're all in a pretty good position because of the game of hockey. And I think it's really, really important for us to take care of uh, our sport and our league going forward and making sure that it, uh, it can be in the best position possible moving forward. Um, just, just going again from our team, most guys, I think, are willing at the start to be away from their families for a little bit. And then as the playoffs or as it moves on, um, we'll see what happens with, with the, you know, the outside the bubble world and how the rules of quarantine are changing. But uh, that's the feedback I get from, from our guys. And I think most guys are, are willing to make that, that sacrifice uh, for the good of the game. Brad, um, have you received any clarity from the NHL just about the conditions on the James Neal-Lucic uh, trade? Yeah, no, no, Kristen, there isn't. You know, I think a lot of the focus, not a lot, a lot of focus, all the focus has been sort of getting this return to play plan put in place. Now, there's a whole host of issues, and I, you know, you've got questions, we still got questions on, you know, everything from critical date calendar, you know, the business of the game that happens and, and you know, there's a lot of dates that, need that trigger certain things. So all that is yet to be decided. Um, 
you know, when you when you come to con, you know, there's 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 lots of conditional issues that are there, whether they tied to, you know, teams making the playoffs, not making the playoffs, picks, so on and so forth, trades. So those will all be. There's been no determination on it. The league is aware of all the issues, and you know, at some point they will they will make a determination. But at this point, those are those are still just issues on the on the to do list. I have another question. Uh, I have a question for um, Jeff and Mark. Under this format, you know, the team that hoists that cup, do you think it will be seen? It will be seen to have the same integrity and value that it would in a quote unquote normal year. Um, you know, it's, which, which is another way of asking if, if there would be, if do you think there would be an asterisk next to it? Or maybe it's the reverse and it would be held in even higher esteem just because of what a team had to go through to get it. Um, could both of you address that, please? You know, in order, in order for us to win a Stanley Cup, we've got to win five rounds. So it's more, you know, it's more rounds than what you would normally take a look at. So, um, you know, the asterisk, if it's put there, for me, would mean that, might, you know, potentially could be the harder cup to win, um, you know, than what we've seen in the past. So I, I don't see anything that's going to take anything away from, you know, being a Stanley Cup champion this year. Um, you're going to go through the same grind. Um, you know, it, it virtually is going to be a, a tournament like we, we have every year. Um, but I just feel with the extra round for the teams that have to play in, um, you know, it, it could be the hardest cup to win. So uh, for us, there's going to be, and for whoever wins, believe me, um, there's going to be no sort of uh, feeling like, oh, it was, a, it was a cheap year. It was something different. It wasn't in the normal. I mean, whoever's crowned Stanley Cup champion is going to take an awful lot of pride in the fact that they're Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, for me, a lot of the same, uh, like Wordo's saying, I think, um, like I said before, in those best sevens, I think you get into the best of sevens, you have to get through four rounds of that and, and one round of a best of five. I think that was really important to the players um, to make sure that format uh, stayed in place. Also, another thing is you're playing uh, teams who are pretty much 100% healthy now with all this time. Guys have been able to recover from injuries. No fatigue's not going to be back. Um, so I think I think when people talk about it, it being you know the asterisk, I think uh, what people in the public are talking about are teams that um, in other years wouldn't have gotten into the playoffs where they're sitting right now. We're not one of those teams. We would have gotten into the playoffs uh, in any format that they they would have put in front of us. So. Um, in a normal year with the 16 team playoff I'm talking. So I, I mean, I feel it's going to be harder cup to win than, than most years. If, if not the hardest because of a, the number of rounds and b the strength of the teams, the health of the teams, it's going to be every, every team at their best, basically. Yeah. Uh, actually, my question is a follow up to that, Mark. Um, normally when we're writing uh, previews for, for playoffs, we always try to focus on favorites and underdogs. In this format, is, 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 are there any favorites and are there any underdogs? Um, I think the favorites are the teams who, uh, who would have the buys right now because they're obviously in for sure and, and mm -hmm. they're going to get some games, it looks like, against each other to mm -hmm. obviously warm up mm -hmm. and, and get ready for that first best of seven round. I think when it comes to the teams that, that are in the first play, play in round, the best of five, I think it's pretty evenly matched across the board. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's similar to other years with the teams who finished at the top of the conference are generally the, mm-hmm. the higher favorites and, and the teams that further down are have less of an, uh, less of odds to win the, uh, the whole thing. But one thing we know about our league with the parity is um, there's upsets every year. We saw it a lot last year, obviously, and uh, it's so close. I mean, um, the difference between first eighth and the conference is usually five or six wins. So um, it's, there's not that much difference, to be honest. Yeah, and just a quick follow-up to that. Does it feel like a unique opportunity, like to, to win the Stanley Cup? I mean, you, you know, you st- I know you guys always say at the start of every year, our goal is to win the Stanley Cup. But normally when we ask those questions, it's September and the, the playoffs are April and it's June. So it's like nine months off and it just seems like a, a long way away. If they get going here, this is like a sprint to the finish like we've never seen before. Does it feel like a unique opportunity to, to win a championship? We're real excited. We're happy. We were we were trending, I think, in a in a good direction before this all happened. But uh, like I said before, the health of our team is a is a big part of it, and uh, you know we'll have everybody fresh, uh, injury free, hopefully coming back, and that puts us in in a great spot. We really like the way our team's built, so, and we really like the way we we're playing, and and uh, we're excited. I mean, we we're really excited to to get an opportunity and. Hopefully that'll happen in the next next little bit here. Mark, could I ask a, a question to you? Getting in is one thing, you know, that's the goal. Now you know you're in, but um, given, you know, where this group is and how you feel about the way you're built, and, and maybe you've touched on it, but these chances, as you know, as well as anybody, don't come around very often. So it's you're not just content to get in. You now know that you're on the clock. Can you speak to your desperation level individually and maybe some of the other players you know, the Gaudreaux and the Monahans, who are all, as a group, looking for playoff success. Can you speak to your level of desperation and make it count right now? Yeah, like you said, uh, I've been through, obviously, a lot of years here in Calgary, and a lot of those years we were in a rebuild sort of state. So, um, you know, you you appreciate the opportunity a lot more, especially as you get older, for an individual. But I will say um, I've been here with Johnny, Monty, um, a lot of those young guys uh part of our core now backs you know guys like that who we've been in uh playoffs now here you know in and out for the last i would say four or five years here and i i feel like there's a a a big big desperation amongst us um we're not content anymore with just getting the one year you know we got in we went to the second round against vancouver and it was viewed uh uh you know as a, a successful season, but for us talking amongst each other and, and the disappointment that we had, you know, last year, I think we're, we're hungry to get in and, 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 uh, you know, make a run and really, really put ourselves, uh, put our bodies, put our sacrifice ourselves to, to get to that next level. And, uh, you know, I think we're, we're looking forward to having that opportunity to prove ourselves. You know, there's been a lot of doubt, obviously, um, because we haven't had that that success that we've wanted in in those playoff rounds, and we want to get out there and and uh, have that opportunity to prove that we have the group in here to do it. And I think we're we're built, you know, we're built well for a for a playoff run. We have a little bit of everything on our team. We've added uh, you know grit and size this year. I feel like and uh, um, looking forward to that opportunity.
Hey, Jeff, can you just uh, speak to the uniqueness of this whole thing? Like, when you drop the puck with the Jets, you'll have played them once this season in a non-traditional environment and it was back in October. Like, you don't usually start a playoff series having a regular season series where you played just one time. Can you, can you just speak to the uniqueness of what that's going to be like from a coaching standpoint, a mental standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's unique, but in some ways it's real unique. In other ways it isn't. I mean, um, so, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is when you get into a playoff series, you sort of understand, um, you know, through your pre-scouting, what potentially the other team's going to offer you. But then you need to use the series. It's going to change game by game as teams make adjustments because you're going to have things that you specifically feel like you can take advantage of in a series. And that's always the game within the game. Um, and so, you know, once you've played the first game or once you're through that first period, you know, the, the, the dynamics of what you're going to offer each other potentially could change an awful lot. Uh, you know, what you got to do period by period and game by game. So in that regard, I, I think it's easier for us understanding that, you know, we just want to focus on our own game because what Winnipeg is ultimately going to offer us and the way that they're going to play against us is obviously going to gear the plan that they have that they feel is going to be successful against us. So. In that regard, I, I think the regular season games uh, can only do so much for you. I mean, once you get into the battle, and then it becomes, a, you know, then it becomes a war of attrition, and then it's it's you know those little adjustments you're making on a game by game basis in order to be competitive and and uh, you know win hockey games. And that's for me, that's the interesting and the fun part of playoffs. And that's why I think you see that. You know, the most important thing in playoffs is just getting in and being ready to play. And if you are one of the teams that get in, you got a chance to win. And we've seen it, uh, you know, across the years uh, where, you know, teams that have gotten in late make strong runs. And uh, teams that uh, finish the regular season real good go out early. I mean, that's that's the beauty of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think that, uh, you know, that that game by game uh game-by-game game preparation um, on the part of your team and on the part of your coaches is what really makes the playoffs special. So, Brad, I'm, I admit I'm still a little bit foggy on the whole uh, draft lottery thing, but can you tell me, is this a true statement for those teams that are in the play-in round, when they are in the play-in round, these two scenarios are in play. You can win the Stanley Cup, or you could potentially get the first pick in the draft. Yes, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the easiest way to look at this, Donna, and I know it, it, it can be confusing. I think actually the way they, where they landed on the draft is, um, I think it's a really smart idea, and I think it's a, it was a really good idea. But the, really the easiest way to look at the, the lottery after, after reviewing it the last day or so is it's no different. So there's going to be a lottery of 15 teams, right? We're going to have a lottery of 15 teams as we normally do. Um, if if the scenario we just we just don't know eight of the teams, and they only come into play if one of those unknown teams right now gets either the first, second, or third pick. So in the in the in the na in the original lottery or in the nat in the lottery is if the first, second, or third pick, because we do three draws, right? We do pick for the first pick, second. If, if, if all three of those are, are teams of the seven teams that missed the playoff or didn't, aren't, aren't coming back, 
then it's just it runs normally right everybody's you got your first three then everybody's placed into order um based on their winning percentage once those eight teams that that don't go past the qualifying round come out they're placed by winning percent the only change we have is if in one two or three you know one of the placeholders comes up then you're going to have a second draw if you will of the eight teams that aren't there but that's just the easiest way to look it's very much what we've had it's just eight teams are unknown right now and it may not even be a, a factor if um if none of those names come up i'll tell you selfishly we're not we're not even worried about that our focus is that we hope we have nothing to do with the lottery and it will we'll we'll deal with the draft when season's all done General Manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Treliving. You also heard in that last 25 minutes or so from Jeff Ward, the head coach, and Mark Giordano, the captain of the team. Uh, that because, well, the NHL has announced their return-to-play protocol, uh, or at least their format. We don't know you know, exactly when. We don't know all of the how, but we know what the hockey is going to look like. And we know that when, when this does return, that it's going to be different, but... It should still also be fun. I thought, Kleiner, there was a, a lot to sink your, to, uh, sink your tooth into um, from the GM, the head coach, and the captain this afternoon. Yeah, uh, a couple interesting things there. With um, uh, I thought your question about how unique this is that the, the Flames and Jets oh, haven't played you. a traditional game. Yeah, <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, haven't played a traditional game all season long, and I thought Jeff Ward's reaction to that was good. Uh, we discussed the 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 asterisks thing um quite a bit brad giving uh, a bit of an explanation on the draft lottery yeah, there was uh there was a lot to get into in that for sure uh good stuff from the gm the head coach and the captain thank you to the flames for doing that that was huge for a lot of us media honks today really glad we were able to get that done okay up next 367 days ago, one of the most fun and exciting nights at the Scotiabank Saddledome I can ever remember took place. We'll relive that with the Calgary Roughnecks coming up next. It's Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Somewhat of a random question as we welcome you back to the program, but I'll ask it anyway because I know the answer to it. But the question is, where were you 367 days ago I know where I was. I was at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. It was a Saturday night. It was a jam-packed dome, and I remember exactly where I was for this. Oh, and King gets the rebound. Fresh 30 roughnecks. King. Riley Lowen. Shot. Shot! Restart! Yep, it was May 25th, 2019, 367 days ago, when the Calgary Roughnecks beat the Buffalo Bandits in overtime to take their third National Lacrosse League championship. Uh, Klein, I, it was it was one of the most cool. I, I've I've been to NHL playoff games. I've had the uh, option. I've, I've had the uh, opportunity and the privilege of of covering. Um, a number of NHL playoff games, Grey Cups. Um, I had I had the opportunity to do play-by-play on two of the last three 
trips that the Roughnecks made to the uh, NLL championship. They won in 2019 and then lost in 2014, and I was doing the play-by-play for those games. And and as fun as being in the broadcast booth was for 09 when they beat the uh, New York Titans at the Saddledome, there is something special about not covering that game one year ago and being there and being into it and having some beers in me and you know being on the edge of my seat as a fan watching that game and watching Reese Dutch score that overtime winner it was it was one of the most memorable and the most enjoyable sporting experiences I can remember in a long long time yeah um I've done none of those things um and also I I was off in Saskatchewan uh when that was happening I was visiting my family and was getting major major FOMO at the time uh and I was just refreshing Twitter at a, a family dinner uh, seeing how the, the game was going and then frantically refreshing when it got to overtime and then seeing them win it. Uh, so a bit of a different experience uh, than the one that you were having with uh, that championship win, but uh, still uh, unbelievable. And I, I can only imagine what it was like being there. Well, you know who had an even um, more different experience than you in Saskatchewan and me watching mm. as a fan at the Scotiabank Saddledome? Probably the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks as we say hello to Kurt Malowski on this Wednesday afternoon. 367 days ago, Kurt, your team won the NLL championship. How are you, my friend? What is going on? Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm, you know, hanging in there like everybody else, just kind of going about the business and you know, doing our doing our part to stay safe and hopefully trying to get through this pandemic and get to the other side of it where we can get back to what might be the new normal and some lacrosse and everybody kind of keep themselves out of trouble, but yet staying safe. Well, and and I want to get into some some memories and some recollections of of that run to the NLL title last year in a second. But I, I got to ask you, like I, I've I've been around you, I've I've gotten to know you know you for the last ten fifteen years and your association with the Roughnecks as a as a player and as the head coach. Like I don't know if there's a human being on earth who has as high a competitive drive as Kurt Malowski does. Um, so I, I got to ask you, what has this been like not being able to have your team on the floor? How how tough of a mental grind has this last two and a half months been for you? Yeah, it's 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 been tough, Pat. Like you know, but you know, to be honest with you, like as a father and. You know, you just kind of put it in perspective. And, and, and every time I kind of go there, I, I just be headstrong and kind of go back and say, you know what, there's more important things right now that we got to focus on and we got to do our part, everybody, to try to get on the other side of it. So, yeah, like, you know, if, if I do let it let it in there, I do start thinking about it, it's tough because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of kids don't get to play, the pros, a lot of that stuff. It's, so it's, it's, it's a battle. But I've been, you know, just trying to focus on the other stuff to try to just – get you know get by it and you know I've, a lot of times i've thought man can we just whatever it's going to be let's fast forward to that day like sure we'll miss all summer if we have to let's just get there and that's a that's been the toughest part is just kind of just not fully knowing when there's going to be a you know end of the means kind of idea so but uh yeah I, I miss it when i spend time thinking about it by trying not to as much as i can it's probably that's probably the best way to go about it. So let's yeah. let's distract let's distract you from it instead, Thank and you. look Thank back you. to uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Let's let's look back to to last spring, late May 2019. Your team is in game two of the NLL final against Buffalo. Does it feel like it's been that long? Does it feel like an entire year has passed since uh, you were able to watch your team and and coach your team to that victory? 
No, you know, it's at times just like for everyone else, the months have just flown by here and, you know, the uncertainty of whether we're going to have the playoffs or where we're going to go with everything else and how everything's going to kind of play out here in the next little bit, you know, we're not, we're not sure. So, you know, it's, for me, it's, it, it just went so, so quick. And, and the fact that, you know, sometimes you look back and you, and, you know, I look at my shirt or the hat I got at home and or the ring and say, man, we did win. Like it's, 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 it's so surreal sometimes, even now you look back and, you know, it's it just just to get it done. That was so much work put in by everybody, and year after year after year. But just to finally get it done, and to know that's something that, that they can never take away from the guys, the organization, or, or you know, the coaching staff, myself, or Bordy. So it's it's really rewarding when you look back at it. And you talk about reminiscing for your, you know, when you played. You don't talk about your personal accolades, and but you know, this this one really just I just felt so good for everybody involved because you know, Pat, you were there, like you said earlier. And, you know how, how how bad it hurt us when we never weren't able to win. Um, they just sat with us for year after year, and I can remember guys' faces. And so, just to be able to have the relief of getting it done and finally getting on the right side of the championship uh, was pretty special. So, tell me about like specifically being a coach for that short period of time in uh, in overtime. And, and let's be honest, I mean, that was a, a back-and-forth <clears throat> game that you were playing uh, at the Saddledome, and, and they pushed back on you, and, and all of a sudden they forced overtime, and uh, they get the, the first possession, if I remember correctly, and then off you go. Just like at that point as a coach, what what's going through your head? You've got to still be making the calls as to who's, who's got to get on the floor, but also the stakes are so high. Like I, I'm just like put us in your shoes at that time. Well, it's it, you know you roll it right back to the half. We're we're up by a bunch. We get one late, kind of reminiscent of what Caleb got when, in '09. So yeah. We're in a good spot, and then and then it's bang, 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 and next thing you know, you're tied at 11, and it's it's going down to the wire, and then you know you're, you're trying to manage it. You're you know you don't want to change too much. You don't want to play not to lose. I've seen a lot of coaches that play not to lose, and they end up you know not not being successful. So you still want to keep your foot on the gas. You still want to be aggressive, and you know Dobbs rolled his ankle late in the game, and you know obviously you know the impact he had with our team and. You know he would have played in Buffalo, but I don't I don't know how effective he would have been. He was really hurting. So, you know, add that in the back of your mind, and you're going. There's some desperation. None of us wanted to get on a plane. None of us wanted to go back to Buffalo because I, you know, I wouldn't say stole the game, but we came in there and they looked by us, and and we were able to to get. You know, we were all business. They were party, 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 and I think we snuck up on them. And, and you know, it would have been a lot tougher to do that again. Um, going game three so you know you, you, you kind of get to the point where you, that's a big goal Dobbs gets coming off the bench with Delbs and you know I'm looking at it and, and I'm like okay well, what are we going to do here and, and Courier comes over to me and goes Mel so what do you want to do you go, am I going I'm going and I'm thinking okay well I'm looking at the clock there's about 50 something seconds left and I'm saying okay if they get possession of the ball chances are they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna probably you know carry it on and attack our net and save their timeout that's what I would have done because I don't like giving up the ability to, to not control the clock but they, I think they were in panic mode. So as soon as they got possession of the ball, they banged the timeout, which I didn't think it was the smartest move, but um, they did. And I kept Courier on the bench, and the ball popped up right to where he was going. And uh, he kind of looked at me, and I, you know, I was playing conservative that way at that point to make sure I had my last-minute defense on. So the ball pops up in the air. They catch it. They bang a timeout right away, which – you know, like I said, it was a bit unconventional. They just banged it, and then they ran their six-on-five play, where I would have probably kept possession of the ball, attacked our net, scored off of it, and then then off the next uh, face-off, if the ball went to the wall because time was limited, they would have been able to use a timeout and then win the game. But they never thought that far ahead. They just did the old score. I'm going to bang a timeout. So I kind of overthought it a little bit there. 
So they get the ball. We bang. We, we they run. We run our last minute defense. We stop the play. Ball goes to the wall. I want to say that they might have caused, might have called an interference on the wall or something. Something got didn't got the ball back, and they ended up sticking one far side. The biggest challenge was to make sure that our guys just stayed focused. Like that, that it was very, very difficult for us that you know not to not to panic. And that was our mantra all through the playoffs: was calm, is contagious. And, and it was important that we just say, hey, water off a duck's back. We just got to play the next play. Um, and then now we have the timeout in our pocket. What everyone kind of forgets is that we were able to bang the timeout with last possession, and we had a chance to win it. And we get the ball in our best player's stick, and Dobes around the corner and gets, gets to the far side and beats Vince, but hits the post. Like it should have been, we could have won it right there. Mm-hmm. And then, so now we're in overtime. It's like, okay, everybody, you know, every, it's Dave, don't, Dave, Excuse me, I'm talking so fast, so excited. But Dobes comes to the bench with a big smile on his face and was like, I hit the post, I hit the post. And it was like, he didn't realize, and I said this before in the, in the post-game press conference, like when Dane says it's going to be okay, everyone just believes it's going to be okay. Like that's why he's such a true MVP. And just to kind of with a little chuckle and, you know, I was kind of playing it off chuckling too, going, oh man, we had the chance, but we'll get her here. And then just, just having that confidence go over the guys, I think really helped going into overtime. And then, I thought it was an awful call off the draw. They called Cowies for, uh, I think the guy might have pushed him over the line or he might have pushed a guy as the Jocelyn at the line, which you don't put a ball in and someone's stick in overtime. Like, I, I know the referee that called it, and it is what it is, but I thought it was a horrible call at the time. So they get the ball, and, and now now they get a, a, a chance at the net, and they don't score. Delps makes a great save. Then the rebound pops out, and I'm, like, looking. And, Pat, I tell you, like, I thought they were playing back here lacrosse. We had four guys. They had like a four on oh. We had four guys running up the floor and going to the bench, and we because the ball went and Delbs the stick. They thought he, he had it, and uh, but no, he didn't. And the ball pops back out to Dane Smith, and I, you know, I think it, I think Courier did get a piece of it. I never really asked him; it didn't really matter. But but I, you know, he pump fakes Delbs and Courier's in the net and hits the post or or Zach. The ball goes out and runs to the corner, and. Uh, I'd seen enough at that point. <laughs> as soon as we got the ball, I was like, I, bang it. I learned from some of the great coaches, like just to slow it down. We, I banged the time out. Salama was trying to leg the ball over center. I think if he doesn't get it over here, we're going to turn it over again. And, and I don't want to see, you know, this happen. So I just banged our time out. Um, everyone kind of collected ourselves. We, we had a little, we have a little thing that we do to make sure everyone gets refocused and breathe. So we, we kind of run with that and, and uh, everyone got in tight, and you know we kind of dodged a bullet. I thought there, and and then uh, and then we ran a set play for Dixon, and uh, Dix hits the pipe, <laughs> and uh, the, you know there's another one. It's like okay, hits the pipe, ball goes to the wall, and we've practiced the same thing time and time again called progression, where automatically Jesse King does a great job of defensive responsibility. That's why we love Jesse. He's on his way back to the bench for a change off the the, the shot. You know, most of the lacrosse people know is you, you want to make sure you you balance the floor properly, and you know when the rights go, the left's got to leak back. And being so responsible, he was on his way back, and the ball bounces right to him. He goes right into what we call progression pass on the half boards. They come over top, and uh, out, you know Dixon starts going down low, and Mitch the snoo he'd been he'd been greasy all all all, uh, all playoff, and just you know I won't get into the stuff he does it away from it during shoot around and stuff, but he was one of the guys with a thorn in our side, and we wouldn't mind sticking it to him, but he falls Dixon too low. He falls him right down, doesn't release him up. Puts Dutchie and you know Jesse makes a great pass and you know Dutchie Dutchie says that you know he shot far side all 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 uh, playoff and you know the the scout on him was either far side top top right for the righties or or short side hip and Dutchie drops on short side and uh, 
I didn't even get a chance to celebrate. Robbie Williams just grabbed me and, you know, like broke my back for all intents and purposes and, <laughs> and jumping on me. And then the guys were going crazy. And it was just like, we won. It, we did it. And, and if you, and if you look at the, if you don't look at anything, but one person in that video, you look at Curtis Dixon, his reaction is just like, just the relief that he had and just ran around like a, like a three or four year old at Christmas time. Didn't know where to run to. He's he running the other way. He's running the Buffalo net. Cause he just couldn't believe it. It's almost <laughs> off. That just kind of typifies how I felt. It was just like, I, I knew we could win. I knew we were going to win. I felt inside, but just, just the actual shock of, yeah, man. We did, we won. We just won the national championship. It was so awesome. Unreal. Did you, Sorry for long-winded, but, yeah, it was so awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, if only you had some recollection of what happened, you know, if, if it wasn't so foggy. Uh, that was that was awesome. I love that. Um, did, so did you see the ball go in? Like, you saw it go past Vince, or did you uh, did you have, like, was, was everything happening so quickly and people mobbing you that you didn't even see it go in? No, I seen a guy. I seen a guy. Like I said, we have that perfect view on our bench where you where you have you know you have Dutchie standing. He's at the he pops up to the right shooter, and if you have the logistics of the dome, if you're sitting at the penalty box, just over to right across the floor to the left is our bench. So I would have seen right over Dutchie. I would have the exact same shooting lane that Dutchie had when he wound up. Now you just you just know it. He did the goal. He didn't stop at the post. Didn't go off the post. He put it right right in that right at the hip side, and it was like. It went in like because it didn't go anywhere else. I couldn't say it didn't exactly hit the mesh, but it went right beside Vince, and I knew it couldn't went anywhere but in the net. It's awesome. With Kurt Malowski, head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, it was just over one year ago today they won the NLL title at the Scotiabank Saddledome over Buffalo, and in one heck of a game. Let's uh, let's get into uh, a few more questions with Peter Klein, Pete. Uh, you mentioned before you you know the referee who made that call in overtime. Did you have a conversation with them uh, a couple days later or, or even that night and go, you know, <laughs> it ended up it ended up working out, but yeah, no, dude, I really didn't say too much to him. You know what? It's been a, that's kind of been well, if we put it in our pocket in Calgary, you know, every time we've we've got the short end of stick a lot of times, whether it be suspensions from the league on Harnett and Doby and just a lot of that stuff, we end up. We use that for motivation, and you know, you win with dignity and humility when it's over. It's all said and done. But I think, I think he probably goes back and looks at it and says, "Yeah, that was a bit of a chintzy call there." But um, you know, sometimes things are better not said, especially if you want to call down the road and for future years. So I let her, I let her ride. Now, I, I don't want to paint with a, a too wide of a brush here, but I, I would suggest most lacrosse players aren't shy when it comes to uh, to celebrating. So, what were uh, what were those celebrations like after a championship win? Uh, I was it was so cool. Like you just got you got to hug some of the hug some of the guys, and you know the best part for me, like a lot of them come up and say, "You're the best coach I ever had, Coach. Thank you so much." And, you know, we did, we we lived our dream and. You know, and that's why I coach. You know, I put a lot of time into it. I love it. There is a competitive side to me that wants to be out there. I can't play anymore, so I want to coach. But, you know, it quickly changes to the fact that, you know, I was always like a selfless player when I played, and you always wanted to see the guy next to you win. And I really, really preach that in Calgary now is that you're playing, you're playing for the guy next to you and playing for the organization. And, and you know, that's kind of what we live by. But just – just having the guys being so excited, like I said, to see Curtis Dix and to see Dane Doby with his baby, and you see like some of the dads being a father myself, just being able to interact with their kids and how important it is. And I, I'm gonna get emotional. I know, like I, I, but it was so so neat seeing the guys and the dads crying and the kids crying, and you know that they drove those kids to the rink since they were you know four or five years old, and all that they went to, and just to win the win the pinnacle and the best lacrosse league in the world 
was was just so special. And that's what I always always remember is just seeing the guys. And you know, I, I remember staying home. Don't leave the dressing room. Stay in the dressing room. And you know, because I remember in '09 we spent hours in there, and, and we then finally we went up. But just just to be able to relive relive that time, Zach Courier's uncle and his dad came down in the room, and Reese Callie's dad was down there, and the fathers got to spend time with their kids. Now there's some of the ex lacrosse players that let their kids just do their thing. Dix says dad and you know dope some of their parents had just wanted to make sure the guys were like you know had their own time with in the room but just see some of the fathers that were so close to the guys that came down there and we got to just spend time and we just sat in the dressing room and re- just laughed and you know guys just just a sense of relief and you know the guys we do a special little song it's on the video that the, the league did a great job of game two and you just see the guy sing that song we sang that song for years shawnee evans kind of left that legacy with us in the rough next and we carried it on but you know it's just it was so special just for me just seeing the relief of the guys and just know that that's something that they'll never got that no one can ever take away and you got the old you know philadelphia flyers is you know win today walk together forever and i've used that line for year after year it's so evident so true and you know just it's just just being happy for them and the organization and all the guys who got put in and you know Bordy was been in a tough spot for years like he got second guess left right and center i got second guess left right and center and all i have to do is just the tip of the cap and a smile and say you know what we got her done uh, you mentioned uh, a bit before uh, looking at uh, championship shirts and hats and rings. Any other um, souvenirs or anything that you took from that night? Yeah, Bobby McMahon always articulates everything so well. And, and he, he always said you play for the picture. You know, you just look at that picture. I got it on a wall at work. You just look at you just look at that picture and you kind of look at the sacrifices that each guy made right from our training staff to our doctors to our strength coach and you know and then you got John Beans in there and you know he's at such a high level in our organization but he was there just you know, hugging us and so emotional and you know he did he he did a, you know after he he did a ring ceremony for us and a man did he speak from the heart and just I just love love John and you know just having him out there and talking to us and just it was so so neat and I, I don't I don't think Ken was was able to be there but I know that he was watching and I know he was a big part of our run and just just looking at that photo and just remembering the sacrifices that every guy put in and you know the heartbreak for some of us that had in 2014 in Rochester to to some of you know the tough stuff that the trainers had to deal with and guys with their jobs and their families and different dynamic and just all coming together and just 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 knowing that you know we got what we came for and, and that was so special and so just looking at those championship photos and just reminiscing with the guys and you know you get Texas from Beller and that's Tyson and he just says mouse man well you know that was a year ago today and just just remember and it was just those things you cherish forever In conversation with Kurt Malowski, the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks, and and one more before uh, before we let you go, and and that you know you, you take a look at your the path you took and and how long it took for you to finally win that first NLL championship as a player when you did it with the Roughnecks in 2009. And then, you know, you had to take some winding roads and there were some big time disappointments on your way to winning it as a coach. I, I have to imagine both of those, like they feel sweet at all times, but both those titles that you've won as a coach and as a uh, and as a player, like the amount of work and heartache and and grind that went into them, probably made it that much uh, that much sweeter for you. Absolutely, you know, you look at, you know, you know, Brad Bannister gave me an opportunity as a as a thirty nine year old or thirty eight year old when he first brought me to Calgary, and you know, 
paying me franchise. I was like, man, I don't know if you want to give me this money. I'm 38 years old. And so you roll it right back to there. And then you get Tracy and, you know, Caleb and some of those great leaders that we had over the years that, 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 you know, that they were playing for you. You knew it. And when you win the cup, they hand it to you, you know, as some I'll never forget. And, uh, and, you know, I first got to touch it there and it was just so special. And then you look at all of it with, all through the years with Dave Pam and you look at through, we had Caleb and, 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 you know, we had early Tracy and shooter and, all those guys that, that, that helped mold me as a coach and Schneids and just brighter and learning from Mike Carnegie and all those guys just how to be a better coach, you know, to try to understand your philosophies change, but your ideology and, you, and what you what you stand for in your culture doesn't change. But just being a different type of coach, you know, every single player we had from guys at the practice rosters that didn't make the team to be you know, to the guys that that did and didn't quite get a chance to win the cup with us. But you know, I, you don't forget about any of those guys because they you know, they mold you as a person on who you are. And, you know, you try to do things. Well, I don't try. I did everything straight up and honest right from right from when I started and the tough decisions that have to be made. And then, you know, you know you did the right ones because you still got respect from the guys that you did have to let go over the years. But every single guy had a piece of who I am today as a coach. And I, I stepped back that night and I just thought about a lot of those guys and I was, like, thankful for them and, I'm glad I can keep friendships with a lot of those guys, but I, I wouldn't be there for, for the umpteen people that made sacrifices for me to be successful. I just want to be able to give back to those guys, you know, some way, shape or form down the road and, and to the, my players to say, Hey man, I thank you guys. And here's what I, I'm going to work my tail off for everything I got in my heart and my soul for you. So you can, you know, feel for what I was able to feel as a player and, and, and as a coach and, Man, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. Calgary Roughnecks is in my blood forever. I I feel so fortunate to be part of the organization. Like I said, right from the start to to right now, and you know, hopefully I'm I'm back in the in the future. And um, I I just love it. But you know what? They can never take away the memories or the photo, and just being a part of it. And all you guys, you know, Pat, all you guys on the on the media, all you guys, what you do, it's it's genuine in Calgary. You know, like it really is genuine. Like the organization, the fans, all the media, everyone that's around the organization is for the city of Calgary and is for the Calgary Roughnecks and you can't fake it you, you can't it's just it's so special to be a part of this organization this group this city man I feel so humbled and special to be a part of it and I thank everybody man I, I love it unreal that that's awesome Kurt that was uh that was a lot of fun catching up uh you killed it my man uh congratulations a year later you're still the defending national lacrosse league champions uh and and hopefully uh there is some way that you can defend that in 2020 but uh it's still yours uh you deserve it and that was a lot of fun catching up thanks for doing this today Kurt Kurt thank you so much guys really appreciate it take care of yourself be safe you too. Be well. It's Kurt Malowski, the head coach of the Calgary Roughnecks on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, working hard to reopen soon for sit-down drinks and dining. Atlas Pizza is still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. That was fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. Seemed to have a pretty good re- recollection of what happened about a year ago. Hey? Yeah, yeah, a bit. Uh, a couple of the details a little foggy there, but uh, no, that was that was incredible. And like someone on the the text line saying, it was like the the roughneck version of Craig Conroy. 
he is he's an awesome guy. I I've I've really grown to appreciate uh Mouse. I mean, he's been associated with the Roughnecks in some way shape or form for, you know, we're going on quite a while here. Like this guy is this guy going back to his time as a player and now as a coach. Uh he uh he's good stuff and uh, always appreciate yeah. catching up with Kurt Malowski. Uh in a few minutes, Wild Card Wednesday, so stay tuned for that. Pinder and Steinberg's well underway on SportsNet 960 the fan few minutes away from Wild Card Wednesday. We'll do that in about five minutes' time or so as we welcome you back to the program. And right now I want to say hello to uh, one of our good partners here at the radio station. Look, I mean, doesn't doesn't matter if we're in a worldwide pandemic or not a worldwide pandemic. Our friends at the Mustard Seed are always in, uh, in need of our help and of everybody's help. And the work they do in this city uh, remains so, so important. We say hello to Drew from the Mustard Seed on this wednesday afternoon hello drew how are you man hey i'm good how are you guys i'm doing really well doing really well and and uh, you're uh, you're gearing up for a pretty special night tonight uh, you and our friends at uh, wild rose brewery are teaming up for something tonight at seven o'clock you're doing a little uh, you're doing a little concert to raise some funds for the mustard seed now obviously we can't yep. do a concert like usual but um you're going live on wild rose's instagram page tell us a little bit about what's happening tonight at seven o'clock yeah, so t- tonight at 7 o'clock on the Wild Rose Brewery Instagram, we're going live for a full musical performance with our full seven-piece band in support of the Mustard Seed. Essentially what it is is uh, Wild Rose is, has huge neighbor and community um, you know, initiatives that they do throughout the year, so this is just another way that they could raise funds, match $2,000 in donations on behalf of the Mustard Seed, and just provide some entertainment for the community. So, how'd you come up with this idea, Drew? Like, you're uh, you are part of the band, the Frontiers, and that's who's going to be playing. So, how'd you how'd you come up yeah. with this idea to do uh, to do this here? Well, we've been the band, the Frontiers, that I'm the frontman of. We've been working with Wild Rose since 2016, and it was their idea. They said, "Hey, Drew, like we really care. We have a budget. We have some means to to put some uh, promotions behind this. And and since you work at the Mustard Seed, why don't we make this extra meaningful by?" supporting the homeless community as well and let's bring uh, let's marry these two companies and uh, let's have your band kind of be the focal point and let's rock and roll so we you know obviously i just went to my colleagues that the seed and they said this sounds like a great idea and let's let's see what happens and so it's turned into like a really sweet uh, performance opportunity so where are you guys going to be playing out of so we're actually going to be and i'm here right now we're actually at the curry barracks their um, microbrewery nice. site yeah, and so we're playing out of the back room. We're we're in that uh, garage, but playing out to the outside. We're, we've run a professional sound system. We're actually live recording this whole thing. We're doing some live video with Crooked Cinema. And so if people miss it on Instagram, we're going to have like a pretty serious, uh, you know, product after the fact as well with a live recording and some amazing video work as well. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's very cool. And if you want to catch it live, it is on Wild Rose Brewery on Instagram Live at 7 o'clock tonight. Now, Wild Rose is going to be matching up to $2,000 for audience donations. So how how are audience members who are watching tonight able to donate and, and help out the mustard seed? Yeah, so people can essentially just go to the website, theseed.ca, and there's a, there's a button there. It's the links to the donate bot for the Wild Rose Brewery because we do want to track how these donations come in and see how effective this has been. So uh, we're going to obviously post those links on the Instagram and allow people to just navigate right there from their phone. But at the same time, just go to the website, the seed.ca, if you're on your computer or whatever, and you'll be able to link there and then donate easy peasy. 
Uh, absolutely. Well, the website is theseed.ca, and the performance by the Frontiers, Drew and his band. Uh, Drew works with the Mustard Seed and uh, is also the front man for the Frontiers. They'll be playing uh, at 7 o'clock. Instagram Live on Wild Rose Brewery's IG. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, have fun tonight, uh, Drew. Good luck, man, and uh, hopefully it all yeah. goes well for you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the shout-out. Hey, no problem. That's Drew from the Mustard Seed. That's coming up uh, tonight at 7 o'clock on Wild Rose Brewery's Instagram. They'll go live at 7 o'clock. The Frontier is raising some money, and Wild Rose is going to match all audience donations up to $2,000. Go to theseed.ca if you'd like to donate. If you'd like to watch and listen to Klein and Riley and myself get awkward, you've got that opportunity next. Minutes away from a Wednesday edition of... Wild Card Wednesday. It's Pender and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Happy Wednesday. And uh, it's not always that you get Wild Card Wednesday on a Wednesday. Sometimes it's on a Monday or a Tuesday, maybe a Thursday, and potentially even a Friday. That's what happens in pandemic radio. But today is Wednesday. I've confirmed that with my computer. And it is time to uh, enter our Wild Card Wednesday casino. Welcome back to the program. It's Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, and Riley Pollock is with us from the Basement Systems downtown studio today. You can... Uh, um, stick with us for the rest of the hour in conversation with Ron McLean is at five o'clock before we get though there though we'll uh, check in with Eric Dehachek of the Athletic the uh, Hall of Fame writer will join us to uh, delve a little bit deeper into the unprecedented nature of this NHL relaunch that is still to come before the top of the hour uh, for the time being you can get us on sportsnet.ca slash 960 on your radio at sportsnet 960 AM you can get us on your radio player Canada app on your phone your smart speaker at home and uh, hey, if you want to uh, tune in and check us out on Instagram Live, you can do that as well. We are uh, doing Wild Card Wednesday visually as well. Uh, come through on Instagram Live. We're uh, streaming visually at Steinberg1984. All of those options available for you for the show. If you're not familiar with Wild Card Wednesday, we got our five categories on our slot machine pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. Each one of us pulls the old big slot machine once um, and then ask a question we all answer now logan uh during the pandemic riley has been our leadoff guy so uh you are gonna have to take that spot you're leading off today logan's had some really solid questions during this thing so there's Uh-oh. some pressure on you riles all right here we go don't screw up pressure on us too we sucked on logan's last one career oh okay um what non pro or amateur tournament sports league or whatever would you like to cover the most if you haven't already so not like so define so like junior, give us the parameters a little more junior or high school or you know whatever like is there a, a sports league that you really enjoy that wouldn't be considered pro well i mean i would love to cover 
like a, an NCAA tournament. I would I would love to do uh, media, and even even if like even if I only got to do like a couple in the the first two rounds, the round of sixty four and the round of thirty two. Even if I only got to cover some of those regional tournaments, that would be amazing. Like if if I could yeah. if I could be in Spokane and and cover games, or if I could be in like the the Southwest bracket wherever they're doing that, like something like that would be would be unbelievable. Uh, I'd really like to. I'd really like to cover um, a big time college football game. Now I've been to um, I've been to college football games. Like I, I've been to Boise State games numerous times. I've been to a game uh, at Outson Stadium in Eugene, Oregon. But I think I'd like to like to be able to cover an SEC football game. Like if you got me an Auburn Alabama or something like that, like that would be pretty cool. So. I, I would say that, and then the only I'm, – I'm probably taking all of yours here, Klein, so I'm so sorry. Um, but then the other, only other one would be like, give me a Texas 5A high school football championship game. Like, and it's got to be in Texas. Did I take all three of yours? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now that Pat has covered the entire spectrum of uh, – No, I didn't, I didn't take the, bobsled. I did not yeah. – I, uh, I did not give you the yeah, – uh, I didn't there, take this... figure skating. There's this amazing gymnastics tournament in Austria that I'd really love to get out to. Um, hey, gym, gymnasts are insane. Like the, those athletes oh, totally. are yes. the most ridiculous athletes that I've ever seen in my life. So you bite your tongue, young man. Right. Yeah. Uh, mine was going to be the uh, the the Texas college football, and I would love to do uh, anything with college football. I absolutely love the atmosphere. You mentioned Auburn, Alabama. Uh, I think a game down in Baton Rouge would be amazing as well. Um, I, I do wish I did more with, with junior hockey in this country. Uh, that's kind of, uh, so, and there are much more qualified people than I to, to do it that we have doing it. So I, I, it's not like I, I think I'm deserving of this or anything like that, but I do wish that, uh, that I got to do a little bit more with junior hockey here. Riles, where are you going? Um, I mean, I love junior hockey. I don't think that's any secret. I'd love to be covering a team in the dub, but Going away from that, um, I'd love to cover the World Junior Tournament, especially in Europe. Like I'd, I'd love to go to the yeah. Czech Republic or something and cover a tournament. That would be absolutely amazing. And like, as for another tournament, I think that Minnesota High School Hockey Tournament would be so much fun to cover. Uh, the the fans would be unreal because they're you know probably a bunch of drunk, unruly, underage kids that are giving her and the mullets and the hair. Um, is easily the best thing in sport probably. So I think that Minnesota high school tournament and the world Jays would be the, my favorite amateur sports to cover. See, I've, I've had the privilege of, of covering up close and personal one world junior. Um, that was the one when it was here. Um, I went to, because if you remember, Canada was playing in Edmonton, uh, and then they moved down here for the medal round. So all of Canada's round-robin games were in Edmonton, and then they played their... Um, they played their quarterfinal, semifinal, and bronze medal game here in Calgary. Um, and so being part of the quarterfinal atmosphere, but specifically, guys, one of the most memorable – and I, I love the World Juniors. It's it's not – it's it's not at the same level for me as as it is for you, Riles, or or for Lou, or or for some other people. But I love the World Juniors. It's it always is a a great tournament and a great time, and it's always must watch dramatic TV. I love it. I, I there's still a huge 
nostalgic part for me for when I was in my teens when it was at that level for me and, and that thing was uh, a massively important thing for me. And, and so to be at the Saddle Dome in the press box watching that semifinal game between Canada and Russia in 2012, I guess it would have been, 2013, I guess they would have been into the new year, and to – or maybe it was 2012. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Um, but Canada fell down six nothing in that game early, and you had Russian players sliding across the ice, and like it was bad. And somehow, when Canada scored their first goal to make it six one, I don't know how, but the fans in that place made it sound like it was a six six goal that was just scored. It was still six one, but that changed. Everything. All of a sudden, the fans are back into it. They're down by five goals in the second or third period, and yet here comes Canada. And now it's 6-2, and now it's 6-3, and now all of a sudden the crowd's really into it, and now it's 6-4, and now they're within a goal, and there's still plenty of time left for the Russians to implode. And they come that close to tying it, and it is the only time in my entire time covering sports at the Saddledome or anywhere else that I have audibly cheered or screamed or done something like that in a press box when Canada was that close to tying at 6-6. It was so loud in there, nobody could have heard me. But when they almost scored it, I was leaned out over the press box and I get let out an audible, Oh, man! Like, and and it, that's the only time it's ever happened. One of the most insane games I've ever been a part of. So World Juniors would have been on my list, Riles. I, I just did have the privilege of, of covering the one when it was here in Calgary, and it was an absolute blast. Even when Canada wasn't playing, like a round-robin game between Sweden and Finland was a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, that, that, was, that was very cool to be part of a huge international tournament like that. Yeah, I'm super yeah. jealous of that, and I hope yeah, I get to... to do that one day. Just to add one more, I, I would love to cover a, a Memorial Cup at some point, too. That kind of ties in with the junior hockey thing, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I think being there, like opening night, host city is playing, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah when yeah. I was in Regina, that was the first time I met Lou in person. I had been talking to him on the phone for like a year and a half when the World Jun- or when the uh, Memorial Cup was there. And I had to go talk to him, and that was a really cool experience. I went to every game of that uh, Memorial Cup, and it was uh, it was pretty sweet. But, yeah, covering it would be unreal. All right, I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's uh, let's go. Let's see what uh, if I've got a good question to follow up from that one. Wild card. Oh, good. I've got lots on the wild card category. Um, here's an interesting one. I'm I'm curious if you guys even have an answer. What is the last magazine that you had a subscription to? What is the last time that you had a subscription to a magazine, oh. and what magazine was that? I see Klein is. Uh, I see the yeah. wheels turning on IG Live. What uh, do you do? You have one for me? I, I'm trying to remember what the last one. The last one that I remember having a subscription to uh, would be Slam Magazine. Uh, about I mean. It, probably goes without saying it's a basketball magazine i guess from what it sounds like it could be something entirely different uh but no basketball magazine um and the, the, were you the... over 18 to be, to be <laughs> yeah right exactly. to slam 
<laughs> uh, I didn't even put that together until uh, after I said it. But no, uh, some of the pictures in that are incredible. The articles are fantastic. You read you were, you just, read it just for the articles, right? That... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but. Uh, just to have a, a bit of nostalgia and a bit of a, a keepsake when the Raptors won the championship, I uh, went out and got the uh, the Slam Magazine uh, championship edition for the Raptors. Riles, what about you? Oh, I think I might have had two subscriptions in my entire life, and it would have been Sports Illustrated for kids, probably when nice. I was in elementary school. Nice, nice. And With I the, think uh, I, the little cards in the middle. Yeah, and I think I had the uh, I think I had the hockey news in elementary school as well. I, we probably did like some sort of magazine drive and I got those too, but haven't really been a big magazine guy. My grandpa still gets the hockey news, so I read those when I'm at He's his place, going to the washroom, you know, things like that. And uh, that's, that's about it. Not, never been a big magazine guy. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the very very specifics of uh, of when you read the magazine, Riles. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would. I have been. I have. Uh, I have subscribed to a number of magazines in my time. So I'll give you a chronological as to, and then I'll give you the last one that I've subscribed to. But like at different times, Game Pro magazine, which was dope when you were like twelve, thirteen. Like Game Pro was awesome. Um, so I, Game Pro, even before that. Owl and Chickadee and Ranger Rick. I was uh, all those I had the subscriptions to at different times um, because I was a super cool kid uh, right. growing up. Uh, I was you did something to like shoo all the girls away. I get that. Well, especially with this one, when they found out that yeah. I was part of the official Star Wars <laughs> fan club and I got the uh, monthly Star Wars magazine. Uh, so there was that one. Uh, I did then when I when I started getting into sports, um, I did the the uh, the hockey news and I did the hockey news when they were like actually a newspaper and I was a real weirdo and I thought that I had to keep them for keepsakes and, and because they'll become valuable or something. So my room in my parents' place smelt like a newspaper whenever you walked in because it was just like hundreds of old hockey news is in there and uh, eventually um my mom's like you gotta throw these out it just it reeks of newsprint in here uh so i only i i stopped my hockey news subscription very shortly after they transitioned from the actual newspaper to the magazine style uh i was sports illustrated forever but the last magazine that i subscribed to was um i want to say from like the ages of 19 to 23 somewhere in that range Maxim magazine. I have oh. the Maxim subscription. And you know what? For for a dude, the the visuals of Maxim were unbelievable. Uh there's there's no doubt about it. That was the main thing that initially drew me to Maxim. Um because I'd bought a few of them. Um and, and the covers were always rather provocative to the eye so I, I i bought a couple of them like for a flight or something like that and but i mean the pictures only like the pictures you, you finish them and then you're like okay well now what um do i look at them again or like but there's the, the magazine actually was very well written like it was edgy and it was smart and there were interesting articles like the first time i learned about kimbo slice 
Maxim Magazine. That's where I learned about Kimbo Slice. And and the first th- time I learned about a lot of pop culture and world things all from Maxim. So, yes, the initial reason why I subscribed to Maxim was for the visuals. Uh, but the reason why I actually stuck with it and, and continued to get it was I actually really enjoyed reading it um, on top oh, of sure. the, the rest of it. Hey, Easy Slam Magazine. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the last one. So I haven't subscribed to a magazine for like more than a decade, but the last one would have been Maxim. I can't imagine just getting ready for a flight, buckling in. Here comes 22 year old Pat. Oh, what's he got? Oh, this 22 year old awkward man is bringing a Maxim magazine to read beside me. I'm thrilled for this on flight experience now. Well, I mean, like, why, why would you have to read it with me? I wouldn't. I would just, I, I, I would have concerns. That's all I'm saying. Like, what, what does that say about me? That, like, I, what, what what would make that concerning to you? I'm curious. It just it, it it doesn't feel like just oh I'm on this flying thing where everyone's just trapped in the same spot. Like what are you saying that I would have been a sexual me? deviant? Is that what you were saying? Like what what is happening here? I'm <laughs> trying to get the like, what what is wrong with me reading Maxim at 22 uh, as a nerd? I mean, look, if you're rolling onto the the plane with that, you you might not not be one. So I I, I would have concerns for sure. Mm. I just you hope are, I'm not uh, in the aisle seat. You are a, uh, you're being very, I'm, I'm judgy. you're being extremely, uh, judgy, you creep. Uh, Klein, don't slam Maxim. We all read them. Yeah. That's on the text line. Um, then this one. Yeah, Maxim from almost day one until they started doing articles on $5,000 suits and stopped being immature and funny. That's why, that's what kept me going back is that they were hilarious. Like, the articles were funny. Like, it was very, it was very novel to me that they would use the F word in an article. Like they, they were swearing in these 7,000 page articles. Like I loved it. So um, despite uh, Klein, because if there's one guy who should judge other people, it's Klein. Um, uh, despite Klein's judginess, I am uh, proud to have been a former Maxim subscriber. <laughs> when did you stop subscribing to Slam? Uh, probably once I, I graduated high school. <laughs> uh, this is a funny one. You'll like this, Klein. I had a pile of Maxim magazines, um, from my kids when they were, uh, <laughs> sorry. I had a pile of Maxim magazines. My kids, when they were in like grade two or three, were asked by their teacher to bring some magazines from home while they brought a pile of Maxim magazines. <laughs> Anyways, the school wasn't impressed. I got a phone call. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> and I remember there was the, the, the ripoff of Maxim 2, FHM. You're like, okay, this is this is the lame this is the lame yeah. Maxim. Get out of here. Nobody needs you. It's all we'll 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 keep subscribing to Maxim. I like that question. That ended up working out uh, that got more laughs than I thought it would. Um all right, Klein. Um uh, Mr. Judge. Uh let's uh <laughs> let's let's see how Judgy Klein can bring this home if he's got a good question to wrap it up. Pop culture. All right, pressure's on, Klein. Let's do this. Okay. Um, Pat's going to appreciate this one probably more than, than Riley is. Okay. Um, but you're up on stage and you are asked to lip sync for your life. What song 
are you rocking out a lip sync and Ooh, performance too? That's not even like I don't even have to think about that one. Um, of course, lip you don't. sync lip sync for your life. Of course, is uh, uh, a staple of RuPaul's Drag Race, which Klein and I are both super fans of, um, and unpol- unapologetically so. Um, yeah. No questions asked. Backstreet's back. I would absolutely mm-hmm. destroy Backstreet's Back. Um, it, it is my uh, go-to karaoke song. It is my <laughs> go-to wedding dance floor song. Um, yeah, Backstreet's Back by the Backstreet Boys all day, every day. No questions asked. Nobody can touch me on it. That would be it. Oh, Riles? Uh I mean, I could definitely crush Lose Yourself. Not even, like, I could probably do it backwards with no music. But, um... Let's, well, now you have to <laughs> give us the first verse. No, no, not These weak that. palms are ready? There's vomit nope. on his sweater already? Mom's spaghetti? Yeah, that one. How is it that I'm the one... How is it that I'm the one who is reciting it when this is you who's bragging about it? Well, you didn't sing Backstreet's Back. I, I would <laughs> like um, of of all the people that would be not worried about embarrassing themselves. That's true. I think that I would be the, the bottom of the list. That's fair. Um, but yeah, that song and there's probably about 15 blink 182 songs that I could do. Oof, stay together for the kids would probably be my blink 182 pick. Oh man. There's a lot oh, yeah, of songs. I think parties. I'm a good song memorizer. What an awful decision. Stay together yeah. for right. the kids. Let's turn hey, it I'm up gonna. Hey, this is my song. I'm gonna sing this song about my parents getting divorced. Uh, and a rough uh, childhood, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Speaks to me. On what a, a bizarre choice! Level. You must be great at parties, Riles. <laughs> I think least, I am great at parties. I think you are too. I I love you with, from the bottom of my heart, and you know that. Um, but geez, of all the Blink songs you could sing, "Stay Together" Fine. for the kids is the all one the you small choose. things. You see that What's one's my a little age better. Again, those are more fun, and <laughs> there's a little bit that you know that they might get a party going a little bit more. Okay, Klein, what's yours? Mine absolutely uh, would be "Doctor Jones" by Aqua. I, I think could do a a pretty impressive uh pretty hilariously awkward uh performance along with it uh so dr jones by aqua Uh, i haven't heard the song in a while so that the memorization might take a a little bit to get back into it but uh yeah that that would be the way i would go for sure jeez again that's not even the best aqua song uh you bite your tongue sir yes it is the best aqua song you say Barbie girl, I'm about to break. No, no, that's why. No, no, the lollipop candy man or whatever. That's that's the okay. that's the best Aqua song ever. Now that's that that's. I, I can't I can't disagree with that too much. Like Doctor Jones still is the right answer, but you're not as wrong as I was expecting you to be. No, Barbie girl is garbage. Yeah, they were uh, they were here last September. It was them and they played at Gray Eagle. It was them and Prozac. Um, yeah. And like a bunch of other just like very like 90s. fringy nineties bands. Like can you imagine seeing Prozac in concert? They were cartoons. Like how how would yeah. that go? Like did, 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 is it an actual performance or did they just play music videos? I don't They were a bad band. That was awful music. Even as a kid with poor musical taste, I knew Prozac was uh was just terrible. 
I mean, you're talking to a guy who owned at least two Prozac albums. So oh, I, wow. We're going to just. And like the it. fake British accents or whatever they were, they were. And, oh, just awful. Here you are crushing me for things and you owned Prozac albums. Wow. <laughs> um, a couple of texts, 960960 on the uh, karaoke lip sync for your life. Um, what would your choice be? Uh, don't stop believing. That's very classic. Uh, this flight tonight by Nazareth gets uh, gets a vote. Uh, I like this. Pat, you and me, Backstreet Boys karaoke off. You Backstreet's back, me incomplete for an order of wings. I think I could uh, be down with that. I could do a pretty mean incomplete too. Um, I, my Backstreet Boys, uh, my Backstreet Boys stuff is pretty good. Uh, Backstreet's back. Peak Patrick. Turn up the suck and let the battle cry. Stay lame, Patty. So good. Um, <laughs> Somebody goes, uh, Mike says, uh, Mr. Brightside by the Killers. Um, somebody suggests uh, that maybe uh, the Vanga Boys were in that same conversation. The Vanga Boys mm-hmm. were Probably. awesome. I love the Vanga. They had two good songs. Um, Prozac used MSN Messenger sound effects. You can get better than that. <laughs> you can't get better than that, rather. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair point. God, MSN um, Messenger. I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys is the only right answer. That's another good one. Um, how about this one? The only time I ever sang karaoke was Stay Together for the Kids. So, Riles, you have a yeah, soulmate. It's a great song. Just a little bit sad. It's, <laughs> I, I guess it's an okay song. Okay. I mean, oh, It's a very good song. But for Blink's I, I catalog, it is way down there on the oh, list I, of I good disagree. songs. Like. There, there's so many better Blink songs than, than Stay Together for the Kids. Like, s- significant numbers. And that would be in the bottom grouping of Blink. Ah, I disagree. I think I'm a Blink s- 10 Blink song. I'm a, I am a Blink super fan. So uh, I've, seen, I, I gotta, I've seen them on, in concert, like, I want to say pushing 10 times now. Like, I don't think I've ever seen them play that song live, by the way, because... Well, it's not um, really a concert song, you know? It's a little sad. Yeah, so, but it's not really a concert yeah, song, so but it's the one to... that you'd use to <laughs> lip sync for your life. For my life, yeah. I mean, I got to pick the one that I know. I can't Fair pick enough. one that I'll forget a couple words to and die, Pat. Fair enough. I mean, if you are going to die, I guess you're Which choose uh, I suppose would be the parameters of, of what I suggested. Uh, if I wanted to, like, go over the top, uh, little uh, little Prince Purple Rain, uh, I think I could really overdramatic that okay. one to the point of being hilarious. Um, there's a couple of the Culture Beat by Mr. Vane. Like, I don't think that I'd ever want to do karaoke, but that's a great song. Um, somebody goes, right, said Fred, I'm too sexy. Um Forgot about Dre is a challenge, but it's amazing. I think that I could slay Forgot about Dre. Uh, I, I'm pretty like Forgot about Dre in the club. Um, Without me by Eminem, like all of those. There's got to be a couple Biggie songs you could do too. Uh, Hypnotize, I'm pretty solid Juicy. on. Uh, party and uh, no, for whatever reason, my recollection on words on Juicy is no good until the last verse. Um, so that juicy wouldn't be so good, but but party and uh, party and bull and uh, hypnotize I could do, but like forgot about Dre in the club by Fifty Cent and without me Eminem, those three would be the the ones that I could probably do. I'd only need like slight help from the karaoke machine, um, even like like. Uh, 
singing along, I'm pretty I'm pretty ironclad on those songs. Yeah, there's a lot of country ones that I could do too, but like that's no fun. Depends They're all the same words. <laughs> Depends what song <laughs> you choose. I'd like to see you do uh, She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy. I think that's the one I that could I'd probably like to see get a do. good portion of that song. Yeah. I haven't heard uh, that in about a decade, and I still think I could get most of that song. Yeah. She's always looking at me. Chattahoochee by <laughs> Alan Jackson could crush that one for sure. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. the amount of times as both a DJ and a Calgary resident that I have heard the song Chattahoochee, um, that I, I like, th- there will be at no time in my life when I can't sing that song word for word. Um, <laughs> that uh, My Maria by Brooks and Dunn is in the same category. Oh, yeah. Bring, uh, Bring like, tractor? <laughs> uh, not quite to the same extent. Uh, that that seems more like a, a staple for um, for where you and and Klein hail from, um, yeah. So there you uh, there you go. How about this? Uh, how about this text? Everybody else on the text line happy, and then this one. Bleep is listening to you guys ever painful, especially the new young wannabe. Such stupidity. Channel change. See ya. Yeah, because there's so much else to talk about, 1591. There's so much else going on right now that having fun is a bad, bad decision. Uh, that was fun, guys. I enjoyed that. Um, anytime you can talk about songs that you can sing well, uh, I'm all for it as uh, as a former bad DJ. Um, that was fun. Good question, Klein. Yeah. You did a nice job on Thank that you. one. I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to follow up from Monday's elite question. You came pretty close. Yeah, I think uh, after a a very substantial layoff, I've now worked my way back into mid-season form. So my my version of the the pandemic playoffs, I think, is going pretty well. Um, And Riles, for not having done Wild Card Wednesday in quite a while, did a nice job. Uh, It was a good question. It's never been asked before. Yeah, I'm I'm just glad that I uh, got one in that, you know, I'm pretty sure I was like 0 for 3 on my first three with you guys. So good good (laughs) to be on the board with an original question. It's good to have you here, and uh, I missed you terribly when you were on mornings. Oh, I missed Take you a too. break. When we come back, the historical significance of the NHL's restart plan. We'll get into that with Hockey Hall of Fame writer Eric DeHatchek next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, the fan. We do get the feeling that maybe things are starting to return a little bit closer to normal. The NHL announcing their relaunch plan yesterday. Major League Baseball, NBA continues to figure out what they're going to do as well. Heck, even players are able to go back to their facilities in the CFL starting tomorrow. But the NHL, first one out with a significant plan for what their relaunch is going to look like. That came yesterday, 2014 playoff, and uh, eventually, hopefully, a Stanley Cup winner. Uh, let's say hello to Eric DeHatchek, Hall of Fame writer from The Athletic, and get a little bit of a historical perspective on this. Eric joined us a little earlier today, and he's covered lockouts, three of them in the last 40 years, all kinds of different iterations of playoff formats as well. But where does this and this 2014 relaunch rank in terms of just the strangeness and the uniqueness, all of what has gone into, in fact, the last two and a half months? That's where we started with Eric DeHatchik from The Athletic a little earlier today. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, when you pose the question, you know the answer, which is that it is unprecedented. And and you always try to reach for for parallels and similarities in the past. And I know a lot of people, you know, want to, want to, you know, compare it to, to lockouts. And there are some similarities, you know, especially as it relates to, to the NHL players, because, you know, the minor leagues were going on, uh, 
the junior leagues were going on. So there was hockey being played, but it just wasn't being played at the at the NHL level. And so you know now we're in a position where where all of the hockey disappeared at the same time. And if you're a hockey writer, that that complicates things. Um, so so that was unusual. It wasn't possible to to go to Europe and 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 cover you know locked out players playing in Switzerland or or Sweden or, or, or wherever, which is what I have done in the past in those, in those situations. Um, and then of course, you know, that, you know, it, just about all of those other previous work stoppages have been the result of labor disputes. So essentially you became, you know, a, a writer of, of labor news. And, uh, and this is, you know, you, this is more about, you know, trying to learn more about, you know, medical practices than, than you ever thought that you, you needed to. I mean, in the old, you know, then mostly what we do is, you know, we write about knee injuries and shoulder injuries and, 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 and concussions and things like that. So, you know, to deal with, you know, you know, a virus and the impact of that, you know, that, that's, that's a learning curve for all of us, right? you know, not just people who write about it, but people who are you know trying to live their lives in this, uh, in this new world. So yeah, it, it has been uh, really different, but, uh, but as I said, you know, but there's a part of me that, you know, and especially in the context of this, um, you know, play in playoff format that they unveiled on Tuesday, which had been rumored, I think, for for quite some time. And 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 you know, right away, you know, my my first thought was that it's not that different from from the playoff system that they had when I first started covering the NHL. So the Flames moved here in in eighty eighty one. It was my first year full time on the NHL. I did a little bit of Edmonton and Edmonton's first year, uh, you know, which was seventy nine eighty. Uh, but I, I remember being in the building at you know Northlands in for Game Three of the '81 playoffs between Edmonton and Montreal. So you know Edmonton was a 14th seed, Montreal was a, a third seed, but but it was a best of five series, and Montreal was heavily favored. Oilers went into Montreal for the first game. I think Gretzky had five assists in that first game against Montreal, and I believe that that was a record at at that time. They won those two games. They came back to Edmonton and. And it was unbelievable, you know, how, the, you know, in, in such a short series, the, the, the tables had turned in, in four days, essentially. You know, Montreal, I think, felt that they had a, a team that could go on a, on a pretty significant run. And Edmonton was a team that was just sort of, you know, like growing. I mean, I think Andy Moog made his NHL debut halfway through that season. I think he'd only played a handful of regular season games, but he was there, you know, the goaltender that they relied on there. And they won. And, and they eliminated Montreal. And, and so I'm thinking... You know that that's what can happen when you play a best of five series. The, the opportunities for upsets just grow exponentially. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, you know, again, the Zoom call today I thought was interesting with uh, with uh, Jeff Ward, with Mark Giordano, and, and Brad Free Living because that that was the focus of, of my questioning. Like, you know, this this there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity to to go in, and if you just get on a little bit of a roll. Like, like, you know, crazy things happen in the NHL playoffs all the time. But this could be the craziest year ever mm-hmm. if, if they if they can get it off the ground. If they can get it off the ground, which I guess is something that we have to, you know, preface almost every remark with. For sure, and and it's funny you talk about because that's that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, you, you go back to your first year covering the NHL in uh, 1980-81, so the eighty-one playoffs, and and not only did they do best of fives early on, but you know, there's a lot of people talking about the uh, gimmicky nature of a 24 team play-in and going back to conference playoffs and all that type of stuff. Well, what what I think a lot of people aren't aware of is that, you know, for a good chunk of time there and, and your first season covering the NHL, first couple, uh, 
we're, we're talking about a one through sixteen seeding. So mm-hmm. so like it, it's not as if the NHL hasn't done vastly different things in the playoffs before. We've seen all kinds of different playoff iterations over the last number of decades. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and even you know like in, in years of the lockout, you know uh, when they came back, they eliminated intra conference play and and you just obliged teams to play inter conference games to to cut down on travel. So you know the NHL has has proven over the years that it can be adaptable to to changing circumstances. And and you know I thought you know Gary Batman yesterday was pretty interesting because you know at two o'clock or two thirty whatever it was when he when he went on on Sportsnet and, and delivered that address and you know, I think just read the, the thing and then he took questions from Tim and said well by the time he did the Zoom conference call with us you know like fresh energetic Gary looked like tired you know worn out Gary like he he had a lot on on his plate but, but I think that there was you know like some very specific messaging that that he wanted to to get across and once you you know sort of established all of that you know that you know everything is dependent on you know health authorities etc 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 um you know he, he he raised that same point that you know that we you know we, we sometimes have to have to know how to pivot and i know that there were people that and I, i've actually been a big uh, believer in in a play in round anyway um not to the extent that we have this time but but i've always thought that if uh, if 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 a, if a number nine team was like like a point out or or tied and you had to use a tiebreaker to break that you know that eight to uh, nine tie if there was some circumstance where it was so close i i don't mind i didn't mind the idea of a, of a of a play-in game there in the same way that you know major league baseball plays 162 regular season games normally and and you know and then they have that wild card game and it's one game winner take all with one game winner take all is what we live for in sports mm-hmm. you know so i i like that idea um you know, but when when the question was put to, to Gary Bettman about whether you know this was an opportunity to test this format and see how people responded, you know, was there a chance that they could conceivably look at it as something that they would, you know, maybe make a permanent part of their uh, of their playoff formula? And and it was like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this because we have to, and we like it the way it is right now. And and we're you know we're just going to stick with what we have when we go back to normal, whatever whenever that is and whatever the new normal emerges, but, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it is interesting, you know, like, I mean, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I wrote my column today that the best NHL playoff round is always the first round, always the first round. And now we're basically getting two first rounds, right? I mean, this play in round is 16 teams, you know, go, you know, foot to the, the pedal, go, go, go. And then eight teams emerge. And then they play the eight teams that have been playing that round Robin. And, and that's the actual first round. So, you know, we, like to me, that if if this gets off the ground, those like you know maybe you would characterize it differently, but to me it'd be like getting back-to-back first-round series of the playoffs, and I, and I think you know from a from a spectator point of view and from an interest point of view that that's off the charts. Yeah, and I and I'm I'm kind of with you. Like I I I'm I, I'm extremely excited for it. I think it could give us some outstanding television watching opportunities and just some great hockey to to be a part of. And you know the 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 one thing, and it was brought up on the the conference call we were on today. And and the 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 one thing that a lot of people have been talking about is this concept of well, an asterisk beside whoever wins the Stanley Cup. And I, I think it's different for everybody, but I know for me. I don't look back at Chicago's cup and say, "Well, only one of their, only two of their three cups are legitimate." I, I say, "No, they 
They won three Stanley Cups in a, in a short period of time. And, and you know what? When the Devils won their first cup, I look back at that as the start of the Devils winning three cups in you know about a decade period of time. And you're like, I, I, I don't put asterisks beside those when I look back historically, so I don't think that I will once, if and when they start this season. What, what's your feeling on that conversation about an asterisk beside whoever ends up winning the Stanley Cup? Yeah. Well, you know, so uh, I, I'm uh, I'm with you on that. And in fact, I, you know, the, the one a couple of the things that uh, that were came on the conference call today were things that I've been sort of saying for a while too. If there is an asterisk attached, it it is it, it is on the good side. The idea that you know that potentially, if one of these you know the, the 16 teams that are playing in the playoff round actually end up in the winner's circle, which I think is a very strong possibility, you know, you could end up having to win five series rather than four. So most people, I think, will agree that the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, four rounds, two months, you know, it, 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 it's the hardest trophy to win in sports. So, you know, you, you can agree or disagree, but I, I firmly believe that. So if, if it's the hardest trophy to win when you have to win four best of seven, if you add an additional round, you know, the team that's celebrating on October 4th or 5th or whatever, which is what it will take if they, if they start the playoffs on, on August the 1st, they're not going to be thinking of asterisks. They are going to be thinking this was an unbelievable journey that we went on to win five, potentially five rounds to get here, to overcome, you know, like a quickie training camp, a long gap in the season, all of the, the ups and downs of, of, of a year that essentially would have started back in, in September. So it would have, it will amount to an interrupted 13-month season. Uh, uh, like, I, I think those people should get two Stanley Cup rings. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's, it, that would be an extraordinary accomplishment. And, it, and, and if, again, if they can get these playoffs in uh, without a major hiccup or, or a, a further outbreak or, or something that, you know, that could derail the thing en route, which is something people haven't talked about, like you could, you could easily find yourself you know, humming along, humming along, humming along, and then and then something happens in terms of a of a of a of a further public health scare, outbreak, whatever, and 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 you might be forced to to abandon it, you know, in the middle of it, which I think would be very very difficult for anyone to accept. But but if at the end of it somebody is left, you know, you know, having that Stanley Cup, like presumably Gary Bettman will be wearing white gloves, like the, the you know the the keepers of the cup when they hand it to whoever the captain is of of that winning team. And I don't know how you you, know, you pass the Stanley Cup around uh, in a social distancing way. That that will be challenging. But but no, there there will be no uh, you know it, it was it, it will not be cheapened by uh, um, by the fact that it was unconventional. In fact, I think it will be enhanced by the fact that it was unconventional. Well, and our uh, our good friend Kelly Rudy brings up a great point as well. Prior to you starting on the beat in the NHL uh, in the late 70s for about a five-year span, it was a best-of-three first round oh, yeah. before they went to best-of-five. And I don't think anybody looks back on, on the Habs winning Stanley Cups in the late 70s and say, no, those teams weren't legit because there was a best-of-three in there. I mean, like, things change and, and things evolve. And, 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 and this is, like, you're being forced to evolve right now. And, and, and I like the fact that they are, are being a little unconventional with this to to try and to try and give out a stanley cup in 2020 sure yeah and i i mean i think a lot of people the, the, the from from what i can gather just based on you know comments that people have made on the various stories that i've posted uh, at the athletic uh, that that the, the biggest issue people have is with with those 12th place teams you know so you know, Chicago, a team that basically, you know, surrendered at the trade deadline, traded Eric Gustafson here, basically, 
you know, the, 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 when, you're, when you're a seller at the trade deadline, you're effectively raising a white flag on the season. And, and Montreal, something similar happened there. Um, you know, for them to get like a second chance does seem a little unfair. And, you know, like, okay, so the odd, you know, so you say to yourself, okay, what are the chances that, that you know, like a team like that that has been depleted by trades and, 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 and such <clears throat> would be able to win five rounds or even one? <clears throat> well, I go back to 1982, you know, the miracle on Manchester. So, again, so the year after Edmonton had that, that great, you know, opening round win against Montreal, pushed the Islanders to six games, singing on the bench, everything is onward and upward, fantastic regular season. The Kings, meanwhile, limped into the playoffs. I mean, they were they were a terrible team. I mean, they were a terrible team. They won 24, 27 games out of 80. Uh, and the only reason that they're in, of course, is because 16 of, of 21 teams make it. But somehow, by hook or by crook, they found a way of winning. So it can happen, you know. And I, and I, and I was in... I was covering the series in 1991 where, where a, a very bad Minnesota team, again, just, you know, the 60-some points, crept into the playoffs, first round against, you know, Chicago, a team that won the President's Trophy. They were supposed to go out in fourth straight. Nope, they beat them and kept winning and kept winning. And, and Pat, they were 2-1 up on Pittsburgh in, in the, the Stanley Cup final. final. And yep. it was it, that would have been, you know, other than the 38 Blackhawks, who were also not very good, that, that the worst team in the playoffs would have won that year if, if Mario hadn't, you know, got people to tie up his skates and, and found a way of, of working his magic. But, uh, you know, like practically, he was practically crippled off the ice and on the ice, you could, you could hardly tell. And so, you know, I think from the point of view of, of you know what's right you know the right team won but 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 that, that's sports you know anything can mm-hmm. happen so I, I i don't rule out chicago making a run you know they've they've got you know a, a goalie that was playing real good down the stretch Corey crawford had him on my fantasy team was you know very pleased with him you know if you've got taves if you've got kane if you've got keith yeah i, I know the supporting cast isn't what it once was in those glory those guys can find another gear or another level i believe so I, I, that, that to me is is the one area where you know, like you're, you know, you play the regular season for a, a reason. And and one of the big criticisms in, in in you know in the era of 16 teams in and 21, you know, in those days people said regular season didn't mean anything, and and they had that that was fair criticism. I I believe in 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 an era now where 16 teams make it out of 31, the regular season absolutely means something. I mean, you know, the Flames were talking today about, you know, we would be in the playoffs under whatever uh, measure that you would use. Yeah, that's true. But but the reality is they were, you know, 12 games to go and, and on the playoff cup. I mean, they needed to probably win, you know, eight out of the last 12 or seven anyway to, to actually get in. So, you know, there was an awful lot of teams in that very – thick middle that we have right now that's created by by parody that uh you know that that might have been in might have been out but uh and, and so any one of those teams to me is a legitimate contender but but a, a team i don't know like i said that, that's the only issue i have a, a team that was basically um you know calling it a, a season you know to suddenly have a chance again that that, that might be the one mm-hmm. part of it that that doesn't feel right just uh, one more with uh, Eric Dehachik of The Athletic joining us here this afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. What do, do you get a sense? Is there any makeup of team or, or brand of team that, that you hypothesize might have a sizable advantage or distinct advantage when this thing gets going, whether it's a team that is in the top four in their conference or a team that would be in the play-in round? Yeah, so I tried to ask that of, of Mark Giordano, right? You know, because you mm-hmm. know the way I framed my question was was simply that 
you know, most times going into most playoffs, we always, you know, we, we talk about favorites and we talk about underdogs. And, and I, I ask, you know, because, because I, I think the answer is no, there are no favorites and underdogs. Um, you know, can you, in this unique circumstance, pick a team that's a favorite or an underdog? And, and he had a good answer. His answer was simply that, um, you know, that if, if you're one of those, you know, eight teams that automatically qualifies for the playoffs, you have to, you know, give those teams a little bit of an edge because, you know, it's one fewer round that they, uh, that they have to play. And, and there are some teams that, you know, based on their performance in the regular season are better than others. And those, those would be the favorite. So, you know, presumably he meant that, you know, whatever happens over in the Eastern conference, whoever is playing Boston in the first round, Boston's going to be the favorite. The other team's going to be the underdog. But, but again, I, I see, I have a problem with, with that only because you don't, you have to be so good getting out, out of the, out of the starting blocks in, in this particular format. And, and, and I've, you know, I, I honestly think that, yeah, put it this way, I'll be curious to see what the intensity level is where those, those top teams uh, that are in the playoffs are, are getting a chance to play around Robin. And that's mostly just to get some, some, you know, game action under their belt so that they're not, you know, like completely cold against a team that potentially mm-hmm. played a best of five series and, and just kind of, you know, gets it going a little bit. And uh, so, uh, you know, I guess that's a long answer, Pat. I, I think every team has a chance. I think every team has a chance. Every team that is going to get together for these these sessions, you know, when there's a half a dozen players on the ice, when they get off that ice and they go into that dressing room, they're going to look at each other and say, you know what, this might be our best chance ever to win the Stanley Cup uh, because, you know, we're starting from scratch. We don't have no idea, you know, how the other team is going to be. We, we have no idea how, how we're going to even look. But, but it's, there will be a randomness to this year's playoffs, I believe, that will that will be different than, than we've ever seen before. And so, I, I mean, you know, let, let's pick a team. Let's pick Florida. So you got Joel Quenville coaching there. Okay, so Quenville coming out of a lockout in 2012-2013, the, the team that you were referencing, they were 21-0-3 and and coming out of the gate. So the first half of a 48-game season, Chicago didn't lose a game. So obviously something Joel Quenville did got those guys to shoot out of a cannon because, and they never let up and they, and, and, and they won the thing. So that's part one in Florida. Then part two is Sergey Bobrovsky. Okay. He's had a terrible year, terrible, terrible, terrible year. And couldn't figure out why, you know, and signed all that, that, that contract for all of that money. Maybe that weighed on him. Maybe there was a technical thing, but what an opportunity to salvage the season, right? What an opportunity to salvage the season. So if you get Bobrovsky playing like he did last year, when Columbus upset Tampa in the first round and, and, and Grabrowski was great. And, you know, that's a, that's a fun team to watch in terms of the offense. So you've got the, 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 the right playoff pedigree for the coach. You have the right playoff pedigree for the goaltender. And you've got some, you know, like real good players like Uberdo and, and Barkov that were having pretty sensational years. So, you know, I mean, nobody, you know, Florida, no, they, they were, they were not going to be a playoff team. Now there's, there, there's a you, there's a case to be made that who knows you know how deep they could go. So I, and, you know that, I, I don't want to go through we don't I know we don't have time to go through 2014s, but I could probably come yeah. up with some reason for for 2014s for you. So I, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting if they if, if they get it going. I think it'll it'll be fun. Great stuff, my friend. Uh, good to get that historical perspective from you, as always. We shall uh, be in touch, and, and hopefully we're not just talking about historical perspectives and we're talking about real stuff on the ice real soon. Thanks for doing this today, Eric. All right. No problem, Pat.